0: Hey, what's up guys my take radio episode 260 airing live thursday december 11th 2014 i'm your host rich and our call number is 347-324-3541 again that call number is 347-324-3541 uh, a couple of things of note uh, on this week's episode we don't have a video feed on the gfq site unfortunately um, Andrew is out of town and he advised me that he would not be able to set up the feed. Uh, no big deal. We actually are recording video for the show. And as always, you'll be able to get that on both the My Take Radio YouTube channel and on the Rageworks YouTube channel as well. So we got you covered there. Otherwise, though, you can listen on blogtalkradio.com forward slash My Take Radio, MTR Live to get the best quality audio, or Mixler.com forward slash. My Take Radio. If you are on mtrlive.com, you can listen to the high-quality feed on Mixler. Just mute the GFQ player so you don't get redundant audio. Also, of course, you can participate in the chat. Uh, Lots of our regulars are in there. I see Val in there already. I see our very own Slick keeping things under control for the evening. Uh, Tonight's episode, uh, going back to the old format, we are running the gamut Mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment are what we cover, and that is what is on deck for this evening. So, before we get into all of tonight's topics, which there are plenty, as always, you can follow along mtrlive.com in the chat or via social media. Um, the links are on our Facebook fan page, facebook.com forward slash my take Radio or facebook.com forward slash RageWorks. You can do uh, official RageWorks correction. Um you know, just a, those are the only ways right now that we can do it. Um, hopefully, a couple of announcements that I'm going to take advantage of and get out of the way. Uh, first and foremost is our broadcast schedule for the remainder of the month. The last episodes of My Take Radio for 2014 will be airing on December 17th and December 18th. December 17th, of course, uh, MMA and wrestling, December 18th. Video games and entertainment, and we will wrap it up for the year. We will continue, of course, putting content up on mytakeradio.com, rageworks.net, etc., etc., as usual. So that's one thing that we will continue to do. Um, A lot of great content has been put up on Rageworks already. Uh, Slick put up some stuff regarding Dying Light. So if that game is on your radar, I recommend you check it out. Also, our review for Xbox One's WWE 2K15 is also there alongside jay's review of wwe 2k15 for the playstation 4 we also put out our holiday gift guide for mma and wrestling fans so if you are a mixed martial arts fan or are into professional wrestling definitely check out the gift guide we got a lot of great recommendations uh shout out to shopround 5com east coast mma and all the other great companies that provided suggestions for us to share with you guys we got one more gift guide that's going to be published this weekend That's going to be comics and collectibles, Um, a lot of great stuff there. We're going to throw a couple different graphic novels and a couple of other things that we are working on. So if you are interested in that, be on the lookout for that this weekend. Plus, we are going to have a live blog for the TLC pay-per-view. It's already been established. Uh, The Rageworks team will definitely be handling that. So definitely join us Sunday night as we live blog the TLC pay-per-view. Speaking of live blogs, I got to definitely throw a shout out to Val and to Danny from Royal Flush Magazine for handling the live blog duties for the Video Game Awards. Um, A lot of great commentary. I actually went through uh, most of it, and um, I got to say, Slick, you did a tremendous job. Definitely got to give you kudos for that. And of course, Danny from Royal Flush Magazine, one of our partners, uh, they continue to deliver amazing content. Look for them. Give them a follow. They got a lot of great stuff for you guys as well. Um, before we close out 2014, we are going to give out some gifts. I got a couple of things in the MTR prize closet. Um, we're going to give out that PlayStation four controller charger. Uh, hopefully we'll have a giveaway set up for that next week. And we're going to be adding some stuff to the YouTube channel as well. Uh, we still have our review of the Moto X that is incoming as well as a set of Logitech headphones. Uh, the Moto X, we unfortunately are not giving it away. That has to go back to Motorola. Um, So as for for the Moto 360, that's also going to go up, go back as well. But I will say that I have enjoyed my time with that watch. It's definitely kick ass. So if you're in line for a smartwatch, check out our review of the Moto 360. I think you'll enjoy it. And especially, obviously, if you're an Android user and want to get away from the Samsung ecosystem, I definitely recommend the Moto 360. All right. So there was uh, one bit of news I wanted to say for next week's show. but Given that we were behind the eight ball, not doing a show yesterday, and I'll get into that in a moment, um, I figured I would let you guys know in probably uh, by the end of January 2015, I am going to merge mytakeradio.com officially with rageworks.net. Everything is going to get merged. We're going to have one site, uh, mytakeradio.com. Of course, we'll forward to rageworks.net and also mtrlive.com will forward to the live show page that will be on rageworks.net as well. The other announcement, I was going to actually save it, but again, I figured we might as well get it out of the way. Uh, starting in January, our friends from Video Game News Radio and Cleveland Sports Radio will be joining us on the Rageworks network. Um, they will be providing their podcast as well. Kevin Baird and his crew will be joining us, and you'll be able to catch their shows on Rageworks as well. So that's going to be starting in January. Once we get all the particulars out of the way, that'll be another assortment of shows that you guys can listen to, alongside, of course, My Take Radio, The Buried Show, and now Video Game News Radio and Cleveland Sports Radio as well, with Larry Mack and Jedi Hillis. So those are the announcements for January that we're going to hopefully get the ball rolling with that. Like I said, we are officially merging the sites uh, in January, hopefully, the goal is to close that out and have that completed by the end of January before we hit February. Uh, we got to move over 2,000 posts to the new site. They got to get reformatted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the other accounts for MyTake Radio will remain active, as I've said before. Um, our Facebook fan page, our Twitter, and our Google Plus handles will remain active. So definitely, don't think that is going away. Uh, the reasoning for that is is that it's um, one site is kind of competing with the other and it's just tough to try and get people to to adjust and go to the new site and check out the content there. So rather than just split it up, we are just going to merge the two sites and obviously all the episodes of My Take Radio and everything will be on Rageworks. So there you have it, guys. Definitely make sure to add Rageworks.net to your favorites. Uh, We have our live show players there all our YouTube videos are there, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with the fan pages and social media accounts. All right. So yesterday, yesterday I was supposed to give you guys the MMA and wrestling segment of the show. Um, of course with the CM Punk signing the, um, tons of news that came out of that. Plus the UFC fight recap, of course, um, everybody was chomping at the bit for the show on Wednesday, but, uh, Wednesday was a tough day. There was a, litany of reasons why but um one of the things that ended up happening was that one of my cats ended up dying so um funny thing about it is this particular cat has been she was my she was my mother's cat we had her almost nearly 20 years so this cat pretty much outlived everybody even outlived my mom which was crazy but um in any case um she actually uh fully white she was completely white and she had a, a blue eye and a green eye so couple of, uh, about a year or two ago, she went blind completely, completely blind, but she was pretty much like Matt Murdock and Daredevil in the sense that she knew her way around the house completely, could navigate the entire house with zero issue. Uh, this, you know, for a blind cat, her hearing was incredibly acute, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, I figured that if I took her to the vet, they were going to tell me that they wanted to put her down and you know, I guess the emotional attachment did not want to allow me to do that, you know, to go put her to sleep, and, um, you know, I figured let nature take her, take its course and let it pan out the way it did, so um, before I left to work yesterday, I noticed she was wandering around, but, you know, she'd wander around for five minutes, lay down, wander around, she'd eat some food, drink some water, and about four o'clock, five o'clock, I got the call at the job, and uh, my brother told me, he's like, hey, listen, the cat died, so you know, the, the thing with me is it's like, I got to come home. I got to make sure everybody's all right, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, got to bury my pet. You know, most people, they, uh, you know, they, they put their cats or their pets that die. They either throw them in a the pail or take them to the vet's office. I, you know, I, I bury them. So, uh, my evening from about ten thirty till about eleven thirty was spent digging a very deep hole on the side of my house to, obviously, put my cat in it, and, um, yeah, it was, uh, not, you know, I was, I was cool with it, like I said, you know, I'm very, I'm very accepting of death, and when it comes to pets, I mean, like I said, she outlived all of us almost 20, you know, she outlived all my other pets, uh, certain family members, so, uh, you know, at 20 years old, I wasn't even shocked, but, um, yeah, so that, that kind of killed the momentum for last night's show, because, like I said, you know, it's, it's just, it's almost winter and here in New York city, we've been having uh, rain and some weird snow and some really cold days. So I knew I'd it'd take me at least an hour and a half to break, to break the dirt and dig really deep. So, uh, you know, that was, that was pretty much it. So <laughs> that, like I said, it killed the vibe for the show and, um, not for me cause I was good to go, but I knew it, it, by the time I was finished, we were well past 11 o'clock, uh, almost 12. So I figured, you know, we got to punch out, and take it as it is, but um, yeah, that's pretty much what derailed the show yesterday, uh, you know, some people in my house are still pretty, you know, pretty broken up, pretty upset about it, but you know, like I said, it, uh, on the bright side, a long and full life, uh, so with that said and all the announcements out of the way, we are going to get into this week's show, as always, if you want to participate, 347-324-3541, 3, 3, 3, again, 347 324 3, Let's get that ball rolling with some MMA, shall we? My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. Get all your favorite fighter gear. Uh, fighter t shirts, geese, rash guards, training masks, you name it. Hit up our friends at MMAWarehouse.com. As always, you can find their banners on MyTakeRadio.com and on RageWorks. Click those, use the promo codes, get a little shopping done for the holiday season. And of course, all your purchases done through the banner ads actually help My Take radio improve and add new gear and equipment. So, The biggest thing this week, of course, is going to be UFC 181. First and foremost, two title defenses, uh, Johnny Hendricks, Robbie Lawler, Anthony Pettis, and Gilbert Melendez squared off. Uh, The welterweight title was on, on the line for Johnny Hendricks and Robbie Lawler. And of course, the lightweight title was on the line with Anthony Pettis and Gilbert Melendez. Also on that card, on the main card, Travis Brown squared off against Brendan Schaub. Todd Duffy made his return back to the UFC, taking on Anthony Hamilton, and Tony Ferguson squared off against Abel Trujillo. Also, the main event for the prelims, Uriah Faber squared off against Francisco Rivera, and Eddie Gordon, New York's own, took on Josh Salmon. Also, Corey Anderson, Justin Jones, and Ashley Evans-Smith took on Raquel Pennington. Uh, We got a lot of MMA on deck this week, too with the Ultimate Fighter finale, the ladies square off to crown the new strawweight champion. In addition to that, we got a fight card on Saturday with Aleister Overeem facing Stefan Struve and a ton of other great fights, plus, like I said earlier, TLC on deck for Sunday. So, let's get into UFC 181, which, like I said, had a tremendous amount of implications, plus a rather historic announcement, which um, some people are... Some people feel that the that announcement changed uh, the landscape of how MMA and pro wrestling have have synonymously been hand-in-hand. Hand. Uh, others are upset about the announcement. Others are looking forward to it. And, of course, there are those that are non-committed. But I'm going to break that down, and we're going to get into that momentarily. But let's talk about the fights. Um, the women squared off. Ashley Evans-Smith took on Raquel Pennington. Uh, very, very solid fight. Both ladies going in there putting on tremendous, tremendous work. I will say uh, Raquel Pennington is a pleasure to watch fight. I've seen her fight before. And Ashley Evans Smith was not playing super aggressive. Um, definitely a back and forth round in the first round with Evans Smith getting the better of the exchanges. But round two, um, it was weird that Ashley Evans Smith was. She got tagged and just as she got tagged and round 2 was about to begin, Ashley Evan Smith was unconscious. Raquel Pennington won via technical submission with a bulldog choke. It was um it was it was crazy to see how that panned out, but the fight itself was incredibly entertaining. Like I said, Ashley Evan Smith definitely the aggressor up until the end of that round when Pennington took her back, went for the choke, turned it into a side headlock choke, and when the bell went I thought that Ashley Evans-Smith was saved, and that was not the case. She was out cold. Uh, definitely, like I said, uh, what a beautiful submission. Uh, definitely a great performance by both ladies. Raquel Pennington, though, definitely no joke. Now, I got to talk about Eddie Gordon, Josh Salmon. Um, Eddie Gordon, of course, coming out of The Ultimate Fighter, uh, you know, New York guy, got a root for... For the guys that come out of New York City, especially because we're such a hotbed of MMA and we don't even have it sanctioned here. But in any case, Eddie Gordon went in there. Uh, Definitely a really good first round against Josh Salmon. Um, Good, good positioning. uh, Great stand up from Eddie Gordon. Round two, I thought, was going to go the same way until Josh Salmon landed a nasty head kick and Eddie Gordon was out cold. It was it was a nasty knockout. Uh, Josh Salmon got that KO via head kick in about three minutes in the second round. Again, solid performance. Uh, you know, no no, Eddie Gordon, he can keep his head up. He just got caught out there. Um, incredibly talented guy out of here, out of New York. Uh, trains with, you know, the Saro Longo camp. Trains with um, Chris Weidman, all those guys. So I know he'll bounce back. Definitely a, a good competitor, and I look forward to seeing him fight again. He definitely showed a lot of grit, a lot of heart, and he just got caught, man. It happens to, to the best of us. Anyway, the main event for the prelims was Uriah Faber taking on Francisco Rivera. Of course, uh, Uriah Faber, another guy who every time that guy gets in there, he delivers impressive performances. This one was no different, even though Francisco Rivera definitely looked really crisp and solid in the early goings of the fight. In round two, Uriah Faber definitely turned it up, started working the jab, uh, flashing the jab, and... um, all of a sudden, he grabbed the bulldog choke on Francisco Rivera and just took him out, put him to sleep, and um, solid performance. The crowd was really into it. Uh, one of the reasons that a lot of people had an issue with this fight was because of the eye poke from Uriah Faber, and um, they were saying that the eye poke led to the submission. Um, it was crazy because a lot of people didn't see it. You had to really watch it again to see how much damage the eye poke did. Uh, the crowd really was upset. And Rivera was having trouble. Um, you know, Joe Rogan, of course, asked Uriah Faber about the eye poke. Uriah Faber claimed he wasn't aware of it. Um, you know, it's just crazy. The, the you know the fingers, the fingers in the eyes definitely are something that you know. Obviously, the controversy controversy that surrounds John Jones, um, Anthony Rumble Johnson was dealing a lot with eye pokes in his fights um, with his opponents eye poking him. It, it's just a, one of those things that. As much as you can try to to change the design of the MMA glove, a lot of people are, you know, they're using their fingers and they're using their hands to measure distance, and these eye pokes happen. Um, Definitely, like I said, it was it was unfortunate, but Uriah Faber definitely looked really good in that fight up until the inadvertent eye poke, and again, submission victory. Uh, He did get it. Obviously, they didn't change it, but I I've heard that Francisco Rivera may be appealing that decision we'll see what happens with that but again you guys got to be careful out there with that especially if you're you know trying to use your your palm to gauge distance you know that that the eye poke definitely can happen all right so on the main card definitely a couple of fights i want to talk about i want to talk about uh todd duffy's return to the octagon taking on anthony hamilton Todd Duffy's a guy that has an an incredible amount of hype, incredible amount of potential. Everybody speaks very highly of him. They always say that this is a guy that could be one of the top heavyweights in the organization, in the division, and I don't disagree. I mean, he's had a lot of adversity. He's had to overcome a lot of issues, health problems, countless other issues, and um, he came in there, and he was not playing around, uh, working the jab early. Uh, They traded. They had a, a very vicious exchange and Todd Duffy dropped uh, Anthony Hamilton with a nasty right hand. Dude crumpled like a sack of potatoes. Um, Todd Duffy via KO, 33 seconds in the first round. Uh, just a nasty, nasty finish. And like I said, you know, Todd Duffy's one of those guys. He has an incredible amount of potential. They always feel that this is a guy that's he's on the cusp of greatness. Um, it's insane. I was I was definitely impressed with his performance. Now. Travis Brown and Brendan Schaub squared off and you know Brendan Schaub has been getting a lot of press this week based on his performance from this fight and how people uh, pretty much were feel you know especially Joe Rogan was real about Brendan Schaub and that that had a lot of um, a lot of people talking and Travis Brown is a, is a beast that guy is no joke uh, he defeated Brendan Schaub TKO uh, in the first round and it was crazy because you know, the the grappling of Travis Brown was on a whole other level, at which point um, he managed to secure, he tried to secure the back, and Schaub turtled up, and he just started landing rights upon rights upon rights, couldn't intelligently defend himself, so, um, you know, Travis Brown won that fight. Now, the funny thing was, Brendan Schaub, a lot of people were laughing, uh, he used to date Ronda Rousey, so, you know, there were always jokes about that, but um, Joe Rogan pretty much was like, dude, you know, you're an incredibly athletic dude, but you're just... You're not you're not a UFC caliber fighter, you know, and for Joe Rogan to tell you that, you know, and just be frank about it was crazy. Because Brendan Schaub, he's been he's been getting tagged with some really, really nasty finishes. Um, you know, he's been knocked out and stuff like that. And Joe Rogan was putting it in perspective, like, dude, you know, you got to think of your life and. Yeah, a family and everything. And you've, you've suffered some nasty losses. You know, you got to reevaluate. Maybe this isn't a sport for you. And you know, when Joe Rogan is dropping that kind of science, it's just, it's crazy. I mean, you know, Brendan Schaub, he's been on the, sh- on the show and you know, he seems like a, like a smart, intelligent guy, see uh, incredibly athletic, but um, you know, maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe it's just the evolution of the sport and maybe it's not for you. I mean, No, I'm not one. I'm not going to be the person to say, hey, man, you should hang it up or you should not hang it up. But I also got to look at the fact that long term effects down the road with some of these nasty knockouts, you got to you got to protect yourself at all times. And, you know, even you got to protect your future. I mean, that's one of the reasons that guys like Chuck Liddell were kind of pushed to retire because, you know, you get you get caught with one or two nasty soul breaking knockouts it's going to affect you mentally, maybe not right now, but definitely down the road. And we've seen a a ton of great professional boxers that have been dealing with after effects of, you know, just, just constant trauma. And on the MMA side of things, you have to take into consideration that it's four ounce gloves, four ounces. And that, that opens up the, you know, that opens up the, the possibility of just more trauma because there's less, there's less padding to protect, you know, the head and, and, and the body. And especially if you've been getting knocked out with head kicks, that's different because, you know, you're getting hit with the shin, you know, one of the hardest bones in in the body. So these are things to take into consideration. If you guys want to check out that Joe Rogan uh, interview, it's definitely floating around on YouTube and on a couple of other sites. It's very, very, it's heartbreaking, but it's probably the realest shit that I've heard Joe Rogan say. And I definitely, if you're an MMA fan, and you know, you know you're a fan of the sport in all aspects, I recommend you check that out. All right, so our first lightweight title fight, our first uh, title fight was the lightweight title, Anthony Pettis, Gilbert Melendez, uh, two very, very highly, highly dangerous individuals, uh, each for their own reasons, of course. Anthony Pettis, of course, known for the Showtime kick and just his incredible striking ability and the and the unique technique that he brings into the octagon. Of course, Gilbert Melendez coming out of the scrap pack, Um, Cesar Gracie Jiu Jitsu. You knew that this was going to be a fight for the ages and it definitely delivered. Uh, Gilbert Melendez uh, was an aggressor early on, really trying to work in uh, the ground game. Uh, Anthony Pettis, though, was just on a whole other level. And it actually went to the you know, um, he caught him with a front kick. He caught him with a front kick to the jaw in the second round and uh, they traded up against the fence. And Pettis actually got a hard left that um, when Gilbert Melendez went to shoot in, uh, Anthony Pettis grabbed a really, really textbook guillotine choke and um, choked out Gilbert Melendez. It was a really, really beautiful submission. Anthony Pettis uh, secures the victory on Gilbert Melendez with a guillotine choke. And a minute and 52 seconds in round two. Um, of course, you know, a lot of people were saying that the long layoff was going to hurt Anthony Pettis. But the dude came in there ready to rock and roll. It was a, a solid performance. And definitely no disrespect to Gilbert Melendez. Gilbert Melendez is a uh, is just a really talented guy. I really grew to appreciate him as a fighter during his tenure coaching this last season of The Ultimate Fighter with the ladies Uh, you could see he was just a real chill guy. He knew his technique. He tried to, you know, he definitely tried to impart a lot of wisdom on the ladies. And, um, I actually became a fan of his style because he was so laid back. Like he, you know, like anything else, he approached it, um, very, very not nonchalant, but he just approached it with a very chill vibe. And, um, you know, it's very cool. Uh, again, props to Anthony Pettis, of course. The guy's been riding a wave of success lately uh, between his successes on The Ultimate Fighter, being the first mixed martial artist on the cover of a Wheaties box, which is amazing, and now, of course, defending and retaining the UFC lightweight title. It's been a, a great year. It's been a great 2014 for Anthony Pettis, and I'm definitely looking forward to 2015. Now, the big one, Johnny Hendricks, Robbie Lawler. Of course, Robbie Lawler's story uh, goes back to the strike force days. This is a guy... With incredibly vicious striking, a talented fighter who we, you know, I've been watching with much interest. He goes in there and he just puts on some a uh, violent display of stand up. And him and Johnny Hendricks, you knew it was going to end violently in some capacity. And definitely, the fight did not disappoint. Uh, not the violent ending that we expected, but the fight did go the full five rounds. Uh, definitely a very, very uh, back and forth fight with a um, an unexpected result for once. Usually when fights end in decision, it usually, fa- uh, usually favors the champion, um, but this was not the case. Um, Robbie Lawler is your new UFC welterweight champion after a split decision where the judges scored at 47-48, 48-47, and 49-46. Uh, definitely cl- close. I mean, it was a crazy fight, but that scoring definitely bothered me, especially a 49 46, uh, just because round one was incredibly, incredibly close. And, um, you know, Robbie Lawler definitely was really, really aggressive in the fourth round. A lot of great flurries on his part, but, um, you know, it's the first UFC title that goes to American top team. Uh, definitely congrats to Robbie Lawler. The guy, like I said, he's been on this journey a long time. It was a tremendous, tremendous fight. um, Again, I definitely enjoyed it. Plus, we can we can definitely get another fight out of these guys just because the the crowd was electric. Everybody was hyped for this fight, and I really, really enjoyed it. And like I said, there's money always in the rubber matches. So um, with that said, let's get into the fight bonuses. Um, $50,000 were handed out. Uh, Anthony Pettis took performance of the night. Josh Salmon took performance of the night. Sergio Pettis and Matt Hobart took fight of the night honors as for fight paychecks. There was definitely a lot of cash given out. Robbie Lord made $220,000 for his performance. That included a $110,000 win bonus. Uh, Johnny Hendricks made 150 on the lightweight title side of things. Anthony Pettis made $200,000 that included a a $100,000 win bonus. Uh, Gilbert Melendez came in making 200,000 as well. Uh, Travis Brown made $100,000 for his trouble-making work of Brendan Schaub, who made $32,000 for his performance. Uh, Todd Duffy took twenty k to Anthony ha- Anthony Hamilton's ten dollars um, Todd Duffy's $20,000 payday included a $10,000 win bonus. Definitely a lot of money being handed out. With the ladies, I just wanted to share this. Raquel Pennington made $20,000. This included a $10,000 win bonus defeating Ashley Evans-Smith, who made $8,000 for her fight. Definitely um, very, very, very interesting when it comes to discussing pay. I'm curious how that's going to change once the Reebok deal is in full effect. Now, let's talk about this CM Punk announcement. Um, Of course, during that card, it was announced that UFC had signed CM Punk to a contract. CM Punk will be debuting in the UFC in 2015. Um obviously Phil Brooks, Phil CM Punk Brooks, um is 36 years old and will be debuting and like I said in 2015, um he's trained in both Kempo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh right now all signs are pointing to him debuting at 185, but he did say he would be trying out a preliminary weight cut to see how he fares. Uh definitely a very very dangerous weight class in 185 but a uh, dangerous weight class in 170 as well. Either way, um the thought of CM Punk signing with this with the UFC raised a lot of eyebrows, got a lot of headlines and really just I don't want to say it divided the fan base for both professional wrestling and MMA, but we got to look at it and I'm going to look at it objectively and I'm going to try and give you guys a couple of different takes on it but at the end of the day everybody's going to have their own opinions and i will say this the sport of mixed martial arts right now in its current incarnation is in a i don't want to say it's in a tumble but i do want to say that it's in a stage of peaks and valleys and when i say that i say it because the guys that really sold heavy pay-per-view numbers and i'm talking about the the real dude the anderson silvas the george saint pierre's um you know nick diaz is coming back a lot of these other fighters um you know it, the 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 action and just the interest in a lot of the current crop of fighters is not at the same level and this isn't because of just the the fighters themselves but it's also it's something i've talked about like i and you know we've we've talked about this numerous times just the way the organization promotes itself um i feel that right now the ufc cranks out a lot of cards And in doing so, it kind of waters down the significance and the importance of some of its fighters. The addition of CM Punk doesn't hurt the company in the least. And the reason I say this is because, like anything else, the guy is red hot right now. This is a guy who hasn't been on television in how long, yet the crowd continues to chant his name to this day. Even after the Colt Cabana interview, which pretty much divided the wrestling community as to how he left the company, everybody was talking about it. It was everywhere. And Dana White, being a promoter and a businessman, was was figuring, let's see how this guy fares. You know, it's it's really that simple. As for CM Punk, the guy is a martial artist. He has studied. He has trained. Is he accomplished? That's up for debate. But still, he's, you know, he studied Uh, a couple of disciplines he does brazilian jiu-jitsu and he just has to find a camp and you know he should be all right it's it's no different as much as people want to look at it and compare it to brock lesnar there are similarities but there's also completely different parallels and the reason i say this is because when brock lesnar came into the ufc he had fought on a couple of smaller shows and he was really just trying to get himself on the ufc's radar when the UFC saw that they had a hot marketable commodity that had people talking because the guy was an enigma, because the guy was, a, the guy was just a unique individual, um, that, that, that created something. It stirred something in the fans. And the reason I say this is because Brock Lesnar did, brought more wrestling fans into MMA than MMA fans would care to admit. I know plenty of guys that started watching when Brock Lesnar fought because, like I said, the guy is an enigma. This is a guy that had, you know, an incredible college wrestling background and was just a freak of nature that could do anything he applied himself to. I mean, yeah, he tried out for the NFL. He didn't do it. He didn't make it. But still, it takes a special kind of athlete to be able to walk on and try out for the NFL and make it onto a squad. With the Minnesota Vikings, any way you slice it, good, bad, or otherwise, you can't take that away from him as an individual. In CM Punk's case, you have an individual who has incredible mainstream appeal, incredible popularity, and is in a way a guy that you can market effectively because he knows how to manipulate not only the crowd, but also the press. As much as people hate to admit it, CM Punk knows how to game the system. The guy is a seasoned veteran from the Independence and the WWE and Dana White sees that opportunity. Plus everybody that's complaining that he's going to get his ass kicked is still going to tune in to get his, to watch him get his ass kicked. These are the facts. And just that alone, it, you know, it validates exactly what I said that Dana White is using the Vince McMahon school of thinking. He was, he signed a guy that's incredibly popular and, He got him a a multi-fight deal. He may get himself a decent opponent. And when he gets that opponent, if he wins, it's great because it's going to raise his stock in the company. It's going to get people to take notice. And everybody's going to be talking about it. If he loses, then, of course, there's always the stigma. Oh, this is what happens when pro wrestlers come into the UFC. They get exposed. But we can't make assessments on how CM Punk will fare as a competitor without giving the guy the opportunity i saw a lot of people on on twitter and facebook all broken up about it and really just just um voicing their opinions in in ways that listen i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna really just be real with you guys wrestling fans are very protective of wrestling as a genre they value it They covet it. They want to protect it. They don't want people speaking terribly of it because it's a pastime and it's something that's near and dear, whether it's for emotional reasons or, you know, memories of of our childhoods. Or maybe it's it's that you were a wrestler at one point and you just connect with the with the sports entertainment vibe, whatever the case may be. The wrestling, you know, the wrestling community is very, very, very tight knit. And, you know, we, we, we all fight amongst ourselves. We all debate about our favorite wrestlers. But at the end of the day, you know, it's something that is an, uh, of entertainment value. And as an entertainer, there's always that question that, you know, and we've talked about this. We've talked about it, whether it's on message boards or with our friends. We've always talked about, hey, if, if this wrestler fought in the UFC or the, if this wrestler fought in a, you know, got into a real fight, how would he do? We've always talked about that, whether it's guys like The Undertaker or Triple H or Stone Cold Steve Austin. We've always talked about it at some point in our lives or another. And besides, there's a lot of guys in in the professional wrestling industry that they're not mixed martial artists. They're not trained fighters, but they're just badass fucking dudes that'll go out there and put a beating on people. I mean, if you listen to some of the Iron Sheik stories or some of the stories from some of these other wrestlers, it'll blow your mind. And with that said... The people that are upset about what's been happening with CM Punk, they feel that CM Punk was was their thing. And and when I say that, I say it not from a claiming perspective, but just from the perspective that this is a guy whose career many of us have followed. From Ring of Honor, to TNA, to, WWE, to ECW, to WWE, we've always followed this guy's career. We've always appreciated what he brings to the table as an entertainer, you know? As an entertainer, he brings incredible work ethic, mic work, technically savvy wrestling, um, a, a wonderful mix of high-flying and, and, and technical, you know, technical, put it, th- let, me, let me rephrase that. He brings to the table a package comprised of technical wrestling and high-flying ability. And because of that, people believed in his persona. They believed in his character. People felt a connection with him because he wasn't the most jacked guy. He wasn't the biggest guy. He was just a regular dude who really knew how to deliver a message that people could connect with. And that's what Dana White sees. Dana White sees a guy who, you know, is a is a, a believer in the straight-edge lifestyle. He sees a guy who's able to speak to the press, but is also able to connect with the fans. And on top of that, he sees dollar signs because there's going to be a litany of guys that are going to want to fight him, either to expose him as a phony or a fraud, and I say that in quotes, or to, to make a name for themselves as being the guy that defeated CM Punk. That's it. And with that said... There's been countless guys that have been making challenges on Twitter, on Facebook, on various social media accounts, and um, a lot of people, they're, everybody's jumping in. Va- let, let, me, let me stop myself one second. Val in the chat says, CM Punk might even teach a couple of the guys on the roster how to be more marketable. There's your fucking answer right there. That's exactly it. There's guys, Robbie Lawler, your newly crowned champion, sent out a tweet. He said, CM Punk, if you want to come down, to American Top Team, I know what it's like for people not to believe in you. We got you. Like, there's a lot of fighters that are that are inviting CM Punk to their training camps to come down and help him get ready for this next stage of his journey. And the fact is that we, we won't know how he's going to do until he steps in there. And I can't sit here and pass judgment on a guy because I've never stepped into the octagon. You know? Yeah, I've put on a pair of four-ounce gloves and I've hit a heavy bag and And, you know, I've done practice and sparring and all this stuff, but it's a different environment for you to wake up, cut weight, step on a scale and close that cage door and find out if you're a better man than the guy across from you. There's a select, select, select group of people that can really dial it in and do that. And those guys either they they you know, they nut up and they go and they do it. Or they, they just talk about it. Simple as that. The guy at 36 years old has an incredible amount of factors against him. But he does have certain things that a lot of guys on the roster right now do not have. That's marketability. The ability to work the media. The ability to get mainstream press. I mean, the guy got interviewed by Rolling Stone a couple of days after his announcement. Interviews with Ariel Helwani. He was on Fox. He was all over the place. All because of these simple words CM Punk signs with the UFC change the landscape people are going to say oh it wasn't that groundbreaking it wasn't that it wasn't that important but it was and the reason it was it was because this guy created his persona owned his persona walked away from a company that could have paid him hundreds and thousands of dollars to put his body on the line he turned it all away to walk to, to just go home. To go home. And the UFC said, Hey, you're gonna come here and we're gonna see how well you how well you do. And the funny thing was, he was supposed to be announced in that big deal a couple of weeks back where the UFC had all their champions and all this stuff. He was originally going to be announced, the signing was gonna be announced there. And of course there were some issues that had to be resolved, but Obviously, he is now a UFC fighter. Now, the funny thing was his Facebook, his WWE Facebook page got deleted, etc., etc. And, you know, a lot of wrestlers are are really... The funny thing is that there's wrestlers that are upset about some of the stuff he said in the interview. A lot of guys are bent out of shape. A lot of guys feel that, you know, CM Punk was, you know, sour grapes. He was very bitter. And that's fine. Everybody's entitled to feel... A certain way about that that you know i i feel that everybody's entitled to to feel angry or upset or or whatever the case may be wrestling fans are going to be upset because they feel that cm punk was their guy he was their guy they had a connection with him good bad or otherwise there was a connection either he entertained them or they felt a kinship with him etc etc i mean you know the straight edge lifestyle i understood i and i and i you know i respected that i I respected the fact that he was proud of it, and he wore it proudly, and that was really cool to me. I mean, you know, I, I live a, a straight-edge lifestyle. I don't drink. I don't do any of that stuff, and, and you know, there's a it, there's a stigma with that, which was weird for me, you know? Like, like there were instances where my coworkers would go out to drink, and, you know, guys would invite me. Hey, man, Rich, you could come out with us. You know, you could have, like, a soda. Like, it was always, like, something. It was always, <laughs> yeah, okay, Slick, um... You know, it was it it was it was always that type of a thing. So when I used to watch his old videos and early on in his career and he'd go out there and he'd use that as part of his character, like, you know, I'm straight edge and I'm better than you. It was pretty it was pretty cool, you know, and that was one of the things that made me, you know, made me a fan. Now, to go with some of the some of the views in the chat, some of the uh, commentary, um slick ass will it be a contractual issue if aj comes to the octagon with him aj will probably be in the crowd the, the I, I tell you this though i bet you he'll come out to cult of personality because you know it's not wwe owned music it's performed by a real band and above all every fighter gets to pick a certain song to come out to if cm punk comes out to cult of personality people are going to lose their minds in addition to that he, you know CM Punk owns his name so he can fight as CM Punk Phil CM Punk Brooks it can happen without any problem the the guy knew what he was doing and again this is going to be a true test as to where he stands in history is he going to be the bitter guy that walked away or is he going to be the guy that walked away went to the UFC got in the cage and found out that as real as it gets is that real as as real as it's gonna be. It's definitely um, a- an interesting concept. Val says CM Punk did what was right for CM Punk. If it was right or wrong, how he handle it, who are we to say? But see, that's what it is. What to go with what Val said? Who are we to say? The fans are gonna be the ones that are gonna be very vocal about it because, like I said, there's a kin there's a kinship there. Either we love to hate him, or or we want to cheer him. But wrestling fans feel like, hey, that's our guy, you know, and now he's he's your guy. And that's th- that's crazy. I've seen it already. I've gone to Squared Circle. I've on Reddit. I've gone to a litany of different places. And it's exactly that kind of stuff. Like, you know, hardcore MMA fans are like, yo, he's going to come in here and get his ass kicked. And I say to myself, you know, Brock Lesnar, everybody thought he was going to get his ass kicked. He went in there and he took the UFC heavyweight title. Yes, he was exposed because he didn't like to get hit, but that's a totally different animal. The same could be said for, for, for a ton of these guys. Herschel Walker, you know, a legendary football player, went into the Cajun Strike Force, fought like it was nobody's business. He believed in the sport. He respected the sport, and because of that, people respected him, and I think in, in CM Punk's case, He's gonna do that. He's gonna go out there. He knows he has naysayers. He knows he's got critics. Hell, in the UFC 181 uh, post event scrum, when he was sitting there, people are like, "Yo, how do you know?" If you go on social media, he's like, "Yo, I'm not even going on fucking Twitter because I know, you know, there's it, it's crazy out there, and that's the kind of stuff that there is. You know, I respect him for saying, you know what, I think I can do this. And the UFC said, "Oh, you're all right. You think you can do it? Let's see what you can do." Now, obviously, there's going to be people that say, oh, well, you know, you didn't sign this fighter, or you didn't sign that fighter, or you didn't sign this other fighter, but you signed this wrestler. The reason that the wrestler was signed is because the wrestler makes people tune in. Period. You got to remember, this is a fucking business. There are times, and you guys know this, I've talked about it with Ben, I've talked about it with Slick, I've talked about it with everybody. At the end of the day, sometimes there's matches that make sense. We'll be like, hey, this guy should fight this guy. And then, you know, the next week we'll be like, hey, that why is he fighting this guy? Because those are the fights that make sense from a monetary standpoint. Simple as that. Slick just wrote in the chat, Dana White is all about that money, just like Vince. Exactly. Do you honestly think that Dana White gives a shit that CM Punk Dropped the, you know, did that interview with Cole Cabana, or threw Ryback under the bus, or this, or that, or the other thing. He doesn't give a shit. You know what he gives a shit about? All the fans that he has paying fifty nine ninety nine to buy the pay per view. That is all they care about. That's it. Dana White doesn't give a shit about anything else. He cares only about wrestling fans and their money. Period. Same thing with Brock Lesnar. If Brock Lesnar wraps up with WWE in April with WrestleMania and and the UFC makes a play for him and he comes back, he's gonna come back and he's gonna be welcomed back with open arms. Val said it. Dana likes easy promotion. That's exactly it. Dana likes the guys that he doesn't have to do anything for. We've talked about that. Doesn't he do you think CM Punk needs to have uh, you know, a press class, or, you know, he has to go to the camp that new fighters have to go to about interacting with the press and the media and all that. Nope. This is a guy that is already ahead of the game. So, Mortis writes, Dana should book Mickey Rourke versus Vladimir Vladimir Putin in an MMA fight. People would watch that. I think he could do it. Dude, this is a guy that was on the verge of signing Fedor and Brock Lesnar, and because Fedor's management wanted to do co-promotion, the deal fell through. Nothing is impossible. Nothing. You got enough pockets. You got enough deep pockets. You got enough money. You're gonna make crazy shit happen. Simple as that. Now, I gotta, I gotta, you know, acknowledge. I gotta acknowledge this. So all these guys are calling out CM Punk. Uh, one of them, Jason David Frank, uh, who many of you may know as. You know Tommy from Power Rangers, the Green Ranger, the Red Zio Ranger, the Black Dino Thunder Ranger, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna put this out there. I opened up my Facebook shortly after, and everybody's on there on Facebook. Oh my God, Jason, David, Frank, blah blah blah, challenge CM Punk. Holy shit! Uh, and and I just once again not even to toot my own horn not even to talk that shit but fuck it you know what i am going to toot my own horn and if you feel that it's that it's uh it's gloating then you could go fuck yourself the fact is when i interviewed jason david frank in 2013 and i shared the links you can find them on our facebook fan page i shared the links for that interview he said that he met cm punk at a convention and challenged him to have an MMA fight with the proceeds going to charity. This is the same guy who sparred with Jose Canseco, etc., etc. etc. I did that interview. That shit was done here. It's not fucking news. It's not news. Not in the least. It's not news. But everybody's like, everybody's thinking it's the reinvention of the fucking wheel. The dude broke that shit here. He said it here. And I have the recording to prove it. And if you want to check it yourself, feel free to look it up because we did that shit. And he's been vocal about wanting to fight CM Punk forever, forever. Don't act like this shit is brand new because it's not. I love that shit. And, you know, there's a couple there's a couple dudes that, you know, had to had to write him some reality checks about that. Yo, man, did you hear? I got I got a Facebook message. You know, I got a Facebook message from one guy. He goes, yo, did you hear that the Green Ranger challenged CM Punk? And I responded back, yo, did you hear, especially since you say to you listen to every show, that he challenged CM Punk on my MTR Beyond the Mic interview in 2013? Did you hear that? Word, he did. Yeah. Weren't you the same guy that said, you know, I listen to all the shit every week that you put out? Same guy. Had to had to, you know, drop that, drop that hammer. I had to be a dick because that's what happens. This isn't brand new folks. It's not brand new. Again, people are acting like it's some, some real off the wall type beef between these guys. It's not, it's theatrics, it's money and it's good business. And if you want to check out that interview for yourself, because you think I'm full of shit, knock yourselves out. It's on my take radio.com. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it Everywhere, just saying. Anyway, Mortis writes in the chat. It's kind of funny that Dana talks so much shit on Kimbo Slice and James Tony for wanting to come to the UFC, and they both had more fighting experience than CM Punk. Exactly. But again, just like Mortis said, that you gotta understand people. People tuned in for that shit. Hell, I I remember tuning in to watch Kimbo Slice fight. I remember it like it was yesterday. Plus, the guy said, "Yo, I'll do the Ultimate Fighter. Let's see what happens." You know, like that shit was legit to me. Gotta give the guy his respect. Takes a certain type of person to, you know, to put on those four ounce gloves and go in there and do the damn thing. So before we pass judgment, give the guy a shot. Let him get his ass kicked. Let him win. Either way, we are entertained. Um Mortis writes CM Punk versus JDF would actually make some kind of sense in this crazy world. Yes. Yes it would. But um, as I said. Every, everything that's going around, all the stuff that's happening, all the all the headlines that, that are talking about CM Punk, who he's going to fight, who he should fight, why him being in the UFC is good, why him being in the UFC is bad, why this guy should have been signed, while this guy should have been signed. Guess what you're doing? You are doing exactly what Dana White, the UFC, and even CM Punk want you to do. You are creating more hype. You are creating more more search engine fucking hits for these guys. You guys are doing that. Every one of you that goes and complains and writes a blog post about it, you guys are fueling that machine. So congratulations. Give your give yourselves a hand for that shit. You know? The same way everybody, oh yeah, blah blah blah. Good job. Every 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 hashtag for CM Punk that was used on Facebook, more traffic for him. Every time that he was retweeted or mentioned, it, it just it just created more hype. Dana White is sitting there laughing. Cause all of you that are complaining are the ones that are creating the hype for him. So bravo, guys. Give yourselves a round of applause for, for just fueling that machine. In any case, so I did I did want to talk about uh one thing with regards to um what's been going on. And these are other news, obviously, even though CM Punk is, was the big news, there was other stuff going on. Um, Joe Vita Poe, who a lot of you may have heard of earlier this month, uh, was arrested by police in Iowa. Um, he got into a fight with police officers and refu- after refusing to leave a bar in Iowa city, he had a blood alcohol level of two of 0.241. And, re- and he kept fighting even after being tased. Uh, he headbutted a police officer in the chest, um, and that police officer was taken to the hospital with back injuries. Uh, Bellator ended up cutting him loose because of that arrest. Um, he was under a white a one-fight deal with options. Um, Scott Coker did cut him loose and um, pretty much said he needs to get his, his shit figured out. Because think about it. This dude, uh, high blood alcohol content level, Got he, he was fighting with the cops. He still kept fighting after being tased. It was it was insanity at his best. And because of it, he got cut loose. Um, 1FC had their card last week as well. Uh, really solid organization. They always put on some really good cards. Uh, Bibiano Fernandez um, took on Juan Kim and defeated him via rear naked choke to retain the bantamweight title. Brandon Vera also fought on that card. He took on Igor Sabora. And defeated him with a nasty combination of punch and soccer kicks. I love I love MMA in Japan and in the East because of that. Soccer kicks to the fucking dome. Beautiful stuff, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't if you haven't seen somebody get eat a soccer kick, look up an old pride fighting video and you will see for yourself. Soccer kicks, head stomps. Oh, it's a it's a it's a wonderful time. It's a wonderful time. Anyway. Uh, the 1FC card was really good. Like I said, Hodger Gracie took on James McSweeney, defeated him via TKO strikes in round three. Um, overall, the card was very good. You could probably find highlights on YouTube if you missed it out. Uh, if you missed out, excuse me on the Bellator side of things, they got their uh, 133 card coming together. That's going down February 13th. Uh, the main event, Melvin Manoff will be taking on former middleweight champion, Alexander Shlemenko. Um, if you are in california the tickets for that will be going on sale uh tomorrow so definitely you can check that out well it's uh two minutes to midnight so in a, in a couple of minutes you can get those tickets if you are in california on the flip side world series of fighting they have a fight card going down this saturday as well alongside the ufc uh husamar paul harris will be taking on john fitch in the uh, welterweight title main event for World Series of Fighting 16, uh, Rick Glenn will be defending his featherweight title against Lance Palmer. Also, uh, Justin Buckholz will be taking on Luis Gonzalez, and um, Josh Berkovic will be taking on Brenson Hansen. You'll be able to watch that on the NBC Sports Network at 9 p.m. on Saturday, December 13th. The prelims, you'll be able to watch them on MMAJunkie.com starting at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. So... Last uh, last thing I want to wrap things up with is, obviously, the CM Punk signing was a big deal. Uh, there's a rumor, and take this with a grain of salt, that Bellator was looking to sign Alberto Del Rio to an MMA contract. Now, of course, many of you know Alberto Del Rio's past MMA exploits where he took on Mirko Krokop, and the, re- and the end result of that match can be found on YouTube in any case, if Alberto Del Rio wants to lace up a pair of, uh, you know, wants to throw on a pair of four ounce gloves and go in there and get his ass kicked, knock yourself out. (laughs) You know, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with that. You know, um, a crazy rumor, take it with a grain of salt. Um, we'll get into that a little bit more in the wrestling segment, but it was an interesting rumor that had to be shared. um, last thing I got to say with uh, with regards to CM Punk his uh, interview with Fox, with Fox Sports Live on Wednesday um, very very cool. Uh, he talked about a lot of stuff. Um, one of the things I liked he said he was asked about you know people saying he doesn't deserve his spot and um, he says he doesn't mind it because fighters you know it's the fight game and that's what they do it's what's expected. The other thing was, you know, when asked about training camp and stuff, he said he's still weighing his options out for training camp, and that he's looking at a couple of different camps to check out. So, um, you know, that we're gonna we're gonna dig into that a little deeper as the weeks go on. As always, the CM Punk story will be a hot topic of debate for the foreseeable future. And as always, um, if you want to debate it, hit up our Facebook fan pages. I know there's plenty of guys there that have great arguments. And as always, if you if you want to sound off, you can always call in as well, 347-324-3541. Uh, Mortis, yes, I'm gonna talk about that. <laughs> I am gonna talk about that. Uh, so um, Val, thank you for that as well. Yes, I am I am gonna discuss uh, where where Alberto Del Rio is going from a wrestling standpoint. <laughs> so yeah, we'll definitely get into that. Anyway, that actually wraps up this week's mma segment like i said we got the ultimate fighter finale we got a ufc card uh this this weekend as well plus as i mentioned before world series of fighting on NBC sports it is uh, a great weekend for mma definitely check it out there's definitely something for everybody with that said let's switch gears let's jump into this week's wrestling segment shall we booker t you know what time it is.
1: We want the gold, sucker. Oh Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. We're going up tonight hey. to kick out every night. Hey. To
0: get it we want. Hey. To get everything inside. Hey. We're going till the world starts turning while we burn it in the ground night. All right. My Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by wweshop.com. Yes, that WWE shop. As always, you can use our promo code WWESAVE10 to save $10 on orders over $70 or more. As always, you can find other promo codes and other special coupons on our both our pages, mytakeradio.com and rageworks.net. If you use the banners to do any shopping, of course, it helps, it's, it helps us out as well and allows us to continue to improve mtr for you guys all right so let's talk about the big one monday night raw slammy awards the last raw before tlc Um, of course we are gonna get excuse me we are gonna get into nxt as well because i did get to check out some of nxt and i will say that um man oh man it was a uh it was it was a good night it was a good night anyway so First Slammy Award they had up was the awesome moment of the year. And, of course, right after that, we had our first match. It was Dolph Ziggler and Seth Rollins. A surprisingly solid, solid match. Um, I feel that Rollins and Ziggler, given enough time and a good feud, can probably give us an incredible amount of memorable moments. Um, It was really good. There were some slight botches, but overall, a solid match. Great chemistry. Dolph Ziggler is always making his opponents look good. Plus, Seth Rollins, you know, he's he's definitely the future of this business. The guy, he's he's developing on the mic week in and week out, becoming a better wrestler every match he has. And it's it, watching his development from, you know, the Tyler Black days in Ring of Honor all the way to WWE has been a pleasure to watch. And hopefully this is a guy that will carry the company to the next level in the future. As for the awesome moment, of course, it was the return. Well, the debut of Sting, and I will say this: um, you know, the debut of Sting was probably one of those things that, even though the internet talked about it and it was on every website and speculation and more speculation, at the end of the day, as a wrestling fan, it was just un- It was just one of those moments that, like, and I've said this before, it's one of those moments that you can't duplicate. And the reason I say this is because think about it. All the guys that we watched growing up that we hoped would make it to WWE, they've either made it or they've passed away or whatever the case may be, but one way or the other, the guys that we remember are the guys whose debuts we will never forget. As for now, I mean, like I and I said this before, you know, guys like Hideo Itami, aka Kenta, Prince Devitt, aka Finn Baylor, uh, Kevin Owens, a.k.a. Kevin Steen, when these guys debut, yes, people are excited, people are, you know, amazed, they look forward to seeing these guys, but it pales in comparison to Hulk Hogan returning to WWE and, and an arena just going crazy, It's it pales in comparison to The Rock's music dropping at WrestleMania 30 and the crowd just insane jumping out of their seats it's no different than that glass breaking and somebody making their return or it's no different than a crow making a noise and some graphics and sting walking out trench coat on face paint on and the crowd just blown out of their blown out of their seats and that's one of those things that the next generation of wrestling fans will never get to experience we'll never get they'll never get to experience hulk hogan turning on wcw and joining the nwo the only way that they can experience something of that magnitude is if john cena turns on the wwe universe becomes a heel and just continues to have an amazing run for for at least a year that's about the only thing that's left in terms of super super over the top shock value sure you could say oh sting and the undertaker having a match that's great But neither guy is physically at the at the at the point where they're going to give us a five star match. They're just going to give us a match. So, you know, before everybody talks about, oh, you know, the sting debut, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Take this into consideration. We will never see something of that magnitude again because those days are gone. You know, AJ Styles debuting on WWE television. That's not that doesn't have the same punch. Like I said, as, you know, somebody else. You know, Sting or or Hulk Hogan or something, you know, the Ultimate Warrior, the late Randy Savage. You know, those moments because those guys, those were the guys that would be at a company and you never thought you'd see them at another company. Sting, I assumed, was going to wrap up his career in TNA and retire. There were always rumors he'd come to WWE, but, you know, you never put any stock in them until he walked out and delivered a scorpion death drop to Triple H and everybody just fucking lost their minds. You know, it's 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 crazy, but we we'll, we'll never get that again. Never. Like I said, you could have the Wolves, you could have MVP, Samoa Joe, uh any of these guys debut or return to WWE and it's just it's just not that same deal. And I'm curious, you know, do you guys feel the same way? Do you guys feel that the days of just huge shocking debuts are behind us and that now you know guys are going to debut on nxt or return in the royal rumble like does it does it have the same weight as it had back in the day uh definitely want to hear what you guys got to say as always 347-324-3541 or participate in the chat mtrlive.com uh the second match of the night saw kofi kingston square off against stardust of course This is the continuation of the feud between the New Day and the Dust Brothers. Uh, Really, really good matches uh, from the New Day. I really feel that their gimmick needs work. I feel that the lovable face stable, eh, it's just people are going to get tired of that shit. Like I said, I really liked the initial concept where, you know, they were anti-establishment and they felt that they were being held back. Coming out with the whole soul glow gospel singer fucking shit. Not not cool, but you know, to each his own anyway, so uh Johnny Ace came back, and um <laughs> the surprise return of the year, uh of course, people power, Johnny Ace, and the nominees were Hulk Hogan, tight ass, Batista pants, the great one, and of course, the ultimate warrior, and um we shouldn't be shocked with that, you know, the ultimate warrior winning um the best re- the return of the year was just an amazing amazing story from you know his hall of fame induction his incredible speech the night of his induction his incredible memorable haunting speech that monday and then his passing shortly after it was a no brainer at that point nobody should have thought that they were going to win that when the ultimate warrior had those magical 3 days nobody nobody can ever nobody can ever take that away from his family and it was a well-deserved honor, that's for sure. Val writes, "If if WWE stops treating established wrestlers as rookies, ECW and WCW wrestlers were treated as actual wrestlers." Well, you know what the funny thing is, going into that, Val, it's true. You know, they they want to use the rookie mentality because they want to they want these guys to know and they want them to feel. That when you come in the WWE, whatever career you've created, whatever fanfare you've established, that shit gets rebooted to zero. It's, you know, now you have to get over with whatever personality you get saddled with. And so far in NXT, they've been doing a great job. You know, El Generico to Sami Zayn. Great story. Um, You know, Pac to Adrian Neville. Great story. Kevin Owens to Kevin Steen. Kenta to Hideo Itami. Prince Devon to Finn Balor. You know, so many so many guys. You know, there's, there's, there's so many guys that are established elsewhere. And the minute they they debut, you know, as rookies in NXT, it's, it's basically, like I said, you're starting from zero. You're cleaning the slate and starting over. But the beauty of it is that these guys, their fan bases are there, and they really do give them the edge over the guys that are there, that are established. Do you think... That a guy like Hideo Itami, or a guy like 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 Finn Balor, or a guy like Prince Devitt, I, I mean, excuse me, or a guy like Adrian Neville or Sami Zayn, that those guys do, are gonna have it easier than say Bull Dempsey, Mojo Rawley, C.J. Parker, The Ascension, um, even even um Sin Cara, new Sin Cara now. Those guys have to work twice as hard because the guys that are in that are in those spots are established elsewhere. You think a guy like Baron Corbin, even though he has a great look, and they're really trying to push him, is gonna have the same level of fan interaction as a a Hideo Itami or as a Kevin Steen slash Kevin Owens? You think that's gonna happen? Not in a million years. I'll tell you. I'll tell you this: If Samoa Joe Came to NXT, he would be over five times faster than the guys that are over now that started as quote unquote rookies. Simple as that. A team like the Wolves would come to NXT and be over faster than, you know, the Vaud villains, even though I love those guys. The Vaud villains are an amazing gimmick. Everything about them is unique, it's fresh, it's different. But it's a WWE-created freshness. And while it is great, a team like the Wolves or, you know, another established tag team from, you know, uh, the Young Bucks, another great example, they would make their way into the organization and they would be over like this immediately. You know, Christopher Daniels and Kazarian, even though they're a little older and a little little bit more established, those guys the crowd would get into faster. Because that's just the way the nature of the beast works. Val says Joe would eat the scenery in NXT, WWE, etc. Dude, the intensity that that Samoa Joe exhibits in his promos, the level of technical wrestling and high-flying ability for a guy of that size, it's unheard of. He would be over in a matter of weeks. The crowd would go nuts every time. You know, as long as they don't give him a Polynesian fire-breathing dragon gimmick, we're good. As long as they don't make him a guy that comes out with Samoan face paint and wears a grass skirt and a puka shell necklace, shouldn't be a problem. Anyway, so I um I, I want to talk about Charlotte's raw debut against Natalia. Um very, very good match, and a lot of people were saying, Oh, you know, why didn't Charlotte get the victory? And Natalia did. While Charlotte is over and she is the NXT Divas Champion, at the end of the day, she is a rookie. And the way that you have the promising rookie come in is to have a great showing against an established veteran. I thought that the match could have gone a bit longer, but it's a good way to connect Charlotte with the WWE Universe. Obviously, using the marketability of her her father with her is going to get her over very, very quickly. If, if Ric Flair comes out with Charlotte and manages her for the foreseeable future until she gets a, a foothold, it's going to be it's going to be insane. It is definitely going to be insane anyway. So the uh, oh, my God, shocking moment of the year, of course, uh, given away by Santino was Seth sells out. Of course, Rollins turning on the shield, Nikki turning on Brie, uh, the little kids singing uh, with Bray Wyatt to John Cena and the streak of being conquered. Anyway, it should come as a shock to no one that the Undertaker streak being broken was tremendous. And of course, Paul Heyman comes out and cuts a tremendous promo. Again, Paul Heyman being Paul Heyman uh definitely um definitely badass. That's for sure. So, one of the things I liked was that shortly after Paul Heyman's acceptance speech, uh Bray Wyatt came out and cut one of his masterful promos. And the one thing about Bray Wyatt that continues to impress and intrigue me is the fact that even though his la- the last couple of months that he's been performing have just been, you know, they- they've been just a footnote and not as memorable as his work with, you know, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan, I do feel that solo, he definitely is shining, but it's also about the opponent. And Dean Ambrose is definitely doing a great job of bringing out Another side of Bray Wyatt, of course, Wyatt cut his promo and an ambulance came out and um, Dean Ambrose came out of the ambulance with neck collar in hand, tables, ladders, chairs. It was a, a wonderful exchange and probably one of the matches that I feel will steal the show this Sunday. That's for damn sure. Um, I'll say this. I think that, I, you know, you don't want either guy to lose but I think that if Bray Wyatt won this match, it would speak volumes of, of of the character itself. Plus, you know, Dean Ambrose is a lunatic, and he can bounce back and continue feuding with Bray Wyatt anyway. But um, I do feel that their feud is probably one of the high points, and I think it's going to be one of the matches that we're going to need to keep our eyes on this coming Sunday. All right, so, of course, uh, Diva of the Year honors uh, AJ Lee uh, you know, the usual suspects, um, the funny thing about the, the diva of the year honors for me was, um, it was, it was weird because, you know, AJ, the, the you know, Nikki Bella, etc cetera, et cetera, you knew how it was going to end, you knew how it was going to go down, and AJ was going to get it, obviously, on one side of the, of the spectrum, um, Obviously, the crowd is going to vote for for the character that they connect with the most. And AJ's character, whether you love her, hate her, her association with CM Punk, whatever the case may be, consistently goes out there and tries to have good matches, great performances, and awesome promos. So, I do think that the kudos and the award were definitely well-deserved. That's for damn sure. Um, You know, the way that she cut the... She cut her promo and her awards acceptance speech, and she put over, you know, talents like Emma and Charlotte and Bailey and Paige. It was definitely a class act. It was a good way to do it. And obviously, there's a lot of rumors floating around that AJ may be done with the company sooner rather than later. But at the end of the day, I do feel that she was probably one of the high points in a division full of Total Divas cast-offs. I'm sorry to say it. Other than her, maybe Paige, Natalia. The, the, the women's roster right now is an in incredible disarray. Um, it's definitely not full of the competent, stable, and very, very well-versed hands that it used to be back in the day. But hopefully, uh, with wrestlers like Bayley and Charlotte and Sasha Banks, the division can get back to prominence. Um, like I said, it was a well-deserved honor, and it couldn't have gone to anybody better. All right, so... Luke Harper and Eric Rowan squared off in a singles match which I honestly thought that this was a match that probably would have made a good pay-per-view match at some point. Um but either way they wanted to give it away on Monday night Raw. The match itself was it was all right, you know, typical big man style. I will say that in terms of in-ring ability and just the way to work just the ability to work a match, I do feel that Luke Harper is definitely the better hand. But I will say that Eric Rowan has a tremendous upside as well. I mean, what Harper's ring work and just his the way he plays his persona is so well executed that for me, I do feel that Harper, if he continues on the road that he's on, he can become the next big monster heel um, in the sh- in the same vein as as Kane or, or you know just a scary, scary individual. But he's gonna need good feuds and good matches to definitely keep that established. Um, Definitely a talent to watch for sure. All right, so um, the LOL moment of the year. Uh, Mr. T's Mother's Day message. We LC, uh, Sandow as the stunt double, and Vicky Guerrero throwing Stephanie McMahon McMahon, into the pudding. It should come as a shock to no one that Damian Mizdow Aka Damian Sandow would win the honor, and of course, The Miz comes out and delivers a stellar, stellar promo, just pretty much uh, taking the spotlight completely away from Damian Mizdow, which of course is just going to continue to fuel the seeds of dissension and fuel the fire that will lead to the inevitable, uh, you know, eruption of their team, and of course, solidify Damian Sandow as somebody more than a guy that says you're welcome. So we'll see what happens. I definitely like where they're going. I like how Sandow continues to just add little subtle touches to his character and continues to make it effective and workable week in and week out. So uh, Alexander Rusev, well, let me let me correct myself. Let me not even use his full name, Rusev, even though he was Alexander Rusev at one point. Uh, Rusev comes out, kills Jack Swat, well, correction, kills Zeb Coulter, leads to Jack Swagger coming out going crazy, and um, obviously the setup for TLC, Swagger against the U.S. champion Rusev for Zeb Coulter's honor, or whatever the hell that may be. Um, I don't mind. I think uh, the the renewed intensity in Jack Swagger doesn't make this feud look like a glorified squash, but um, at the end of the day, I do feel that we know that Rusev will continue on his ascension, and obviously the inevitable John Cena clash. It's going to happen sooner rather than later. But in any case, um, you know, I do think that Swagger definitely looks better coming into this feud versus the last feud they had. The Usos and Ryback, of course, took on Kane and The Miz and Damian Mizdow because obviously it's the pay per view throwaway show. So they got to make sure to um, get everybody on there that is feuding. Uh, Ryback and The Usos did win. With a um, solid performance, the Miz ate the pinfall courtesy of Ryback's meat hook clothesline and shell shock combo. Uh, It definitely was a fun match, but, you know, we all know where this is leading to. We all know what the setup is, so, you know, it doesn't doesn't bother me in the least. You know, like I said, it's a pay-per-view throw, not a throwaway show, but just a hype show, so you knew we were bound to get one of those matches anyway. The next award, of course, uh, match of the year. It, uh, introduced by Ricky, the dragon steamboat, uh, the matches, I kind of felt they had some good matches in there, but I, I felt that there was a, there, there were other memorable matches, but I mean, they wanted to kind of just keep it consistent with the shit that's happened the last couple of weeks, obviously team Cena, team authority, uh, the last man standing match with John Cena and Bray Wyatt, excuse me, the shield versus evolution and the triple threat of course, with, uh, Daniel Bryan, Randy Orton and Batista which of course led to Daniel Bryan becoming champion, and uh, yeah, shit was fucking awesome, Um, the Survivor Series match of course got the victory, which allowed Dolph Ziggler to accept his award and deliver a rather really heartfelt promo, I think this is going to be Dolph Ziggler's, well, not Dolph Ziggler's year, but I think Dolph Ziggler and the way that he's gotten over and the way that they've been trying to really make him the focus leads me to believe that maybe 2015 will be a better year for the show off. We'll see what happens in the coming weeks, but I have a feeling that things may start looking up for him. We shall see what happens. So AJ took on a uh took on Summer Rae in a match which was just completely I just felt that was very disjointed. I don't know if it was because AJ didn't want to work with Summer or Summer's not as good as she's made out to be, but the match itself just felt very, very lackluster. And what bothers me is that, you know, Summer Rae was one of the, the, the divas in NXT that was viewed very favor, favorably and who people always said had really good wrestling ability. Unfortunately, that match really, really did not work. So the next slammy, of course, extreme moment of the year, awarded by Rob Van Dam, getting himself one night deal out of the entire equation. But either way, I'm sure we'll see RVD back in the WWE sooner rather than later. In any case, uh, Brock Lesnar reigning all the reigning suplexes on John Cena, of course, was one. Kane tombstoning Daniel tombstoning Daniel Bryan, which of course was used to write him off television. Uh, Chris Jericho's dive off the top of the steel cage onto Bray Wyatt. And of course, Seth Rollins breaking Dean Ambrose's skull with the cinder blocks. Uh, Chris Jericho won uh, the Slammy Award, and it was stolen by go And um, obviously, with the announcement that Chris Jericho will be your "quote unquote" guest GM next week, I'm sure that will be very interesting. And of course, was the buildup for um, Chris Jericho's return to Raw next week. Um, I have to say that the, the segments they've been doing with Mick Foley and his daughter Noel, uh, with, uh, jolly old St. Mick have been very, very funny, very cool for the holiday season. And I think Mick Foley's just a, a great wrestler to have do like the Santa Claus stuff. Number one, because he does it so well, but you can see just genuine joy and, um, you know, just as a a sense of just doing good. You could see it like, like whenever he cuts his the promos as, you know, as Santa Claus, they're They're very, you could just feel that the guy is happy to be doing it because it's something fun. It's something lighthearted, and it's not the usual intense, let's make Mick Foley look like a jackass type of stuff. Um, I really enjoy it, and I hope they continue to do it all the way through the remainder of the holiday season. All right, so I got to talk, of course, about Superstar of the Year, which considering what they're doing and who they're pushing is pretty much an endorsement on who the next guy to run the company is. Uh, Your nominees were uh, Brock Lesnar, Dean Ambrose, Daniel Bryan, Roman Reigns, Bray Wyatt, John Cena, Seth Rollins. Now, let's look at this list closely before we talk about who won it. Uh, Brock Lesnar's your champion. He shows up once every six months. It's not going to be him. Dean Ambrose, for as much as the wrestling community loves him and everything he brings to the table... We know it wasn't going to be him either. Uh, Daniel Bryan obviously had a a stellar year up until the injuries. No dice. Bray Wyatt, again, internet darling, loved by countless fans. I felt he definitely would have been a good good person to win the award. It was not him. John Cena, get the fuck out of (laughs) here. Get out of here with that shit. Uh, Seth Rollins, also another guy that wouldn't have surprised me and it would have added to his gimmick, of course, being Mr. Money in the Bank and Mr. Superstar of the Year. But the winner was, of course, Roman Reigns, who, of course, was there, shockingly enough, uh, came out, cut a, a, a slightly uh, impassionate promo telling, you know, telling people to believe that um, Roman Reigns, his his recovery is on schedule and I have a feeling we're going to be seeing Roman. I have a big, uh, good feeling we'll be seeing Roman Reigns sooner rather than later performing in a WWE ring. Obviously, we've talked about this before. The general consensus is that Roman Reigns will win the win the Rumble, go on to WrestleMania, defeat and slay the beast known as Brock Lesnar, and and cement himself as the face of the WWE in 2015. I kind of feel that's still the direction they're going to go in, given that they're not allowing anybody else to break out and carry the company effectively. Now, I will say this, there'd be no better textbook ending than Roman Reigns defeating Brock Lesnar, only to have Seth Rollins cash in, defeat Roman Reigns, and become WWE World Heavyweight Champion. It would be Perfect in every sense of the word because it brings the S.H.I.E.L.D. implosion full circle, and it, of course, gives Roman Reigns an easy person to feud with later on in 2015. Obviously, it's something I'd like to see. It's armchair booking, but I definitely think it would be badass. That's for shit sure. Anyway, the main event had Big Show and John Cena, and, of course, we all know that the main event... Was gonna lead to everybody else coming out, and sure as shit, that's exactly what did happen. Um, everybody came out. Everybody started fighting. Everybody started using their their different props. It was just a. Um, it, it was it was a it was a good ending. It was a crazy way to end it. Um, you know, they hit John Cena with the three man shield style power bomb through the announce table. Of course, all the heels standing tall. Which of course, if you watch wrestling. For as long as I have and use wrestling logic, one hundred and one, all the heels standing tall means all the heels are gonna win. I mean, all the faces are gonna win on Sunday. Usually, how it goes. We have been proven wrong before, but it should be interesting to see nonetheless. All right. So before we get into the uh, the re- the re- the rest of the wrestling news, excuse me. Um, NXT Takeover. I gotta say this, and I've said it before. NXT has a very small creative team, yet for the small amount of time they have, they deliver stellar matches, great stories, and engaging characters. Now, we had, of course, the debut of Kevin Owens, a.k.a. Kevin Steen. Uh, the Lucha Dragons were defending their belts against the Vaude Villains. Uh, Finn Balor and Hideo Itami were going to take on the Ascension Charlotte was going to take on Sasha Banks. And of course, Sami Zayn was going to defeat, excuse me, was going to face Adrian Neville. Now, let's go through the matches. Uh, Kevin Owens' debut, tremendous. Uh, Everything about the debut was spot on. They really took their time to make a big deal about Kevin Steen, aka Kevin Owens, debuting with the company. And it was well executed. Really, really good job. C.J. Parker was a a good guy to put in there with him because he's a solid worker, whether you like him or you don't. Uh, The crowd was super into it. Uh, Great debut overall, and I really liked what they're going to do. with. I like the direction of his character. Hopefully, they'll continue that momentum going forward. Uh, The Lucha Dragons and the Villains. uh, very good match. A lot of great storytelling. Um... It was weird though because the contrast in styles was definitely apparent, um, especially in certain aspects of the, of the match. Um, you know when Callisto got the hot tag and he was just all over the place. It was it was really good and um, it would like I said it just for the the contrast of styles, which sometimes leads to really good matches, had an incredibly surprising outcome. I think that um, the Vaude Villains have a great gimmick, a great look. And I'm sure sooner rather than later, they will have NXT gold because I'm sure that from a merchandising standpoint, the Lucha Dragons on, on, say, SmackDown would make a lot of noise. A lot of people would get into it. Plus, we need more established tag teams. Not to say that the Vaud Villains would not be good on the main roster, but I think they need to secure a tag team run in NXT first. Now, of course, the uh, the 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 wave of destruction known as Baron Corbin continues to come out there and kill people dead. Um, This time, of course, was no different. I think Baron Corbin has a has a very good look, uh, very big dude. You know, the crazy tattoos, the the cool music, the way that again, presentation in NXT, definitely at the top of its game. Uh, Baron Corbin, no different. Uh, Now, let's talk. Finn Balor, Hideo Itami taking on the Ascension. First of, first of all, Finn Balor's entrance, holy shit. Second of all, they let him do the face paint, and he came out as carnage. It was fucking insane. Insane. You guys need to see it. Uh, just a tremendous match, a great way to do it. And, of course, Balor and Itami beat the Ascension, and the Ascension's debut on WWE programming is imminent. But, like I said, just a an amazing, amazing match. People were really into it. Um, Finn Balor definitely just, just blew the lid off of who's the next guy that was going to make it to the main roster. He is on a whole other level. Like I said, the face paint, the presentation, the entrance, the crowd went fucking bananas, and it was well-deserved. It was an awesome match, and props to The Ascension as well for continuing to... Um, you know, continuing to deliver stellar matches with Baylor and Atami, and I look forward to seeing the Ascension lighted up in the tag team division, because those are big dudes, uh, throwback to the old demolition Legion of Doom days, and that's kind of what you need, you need one of those bruiser-style tag teams to go in there and kind of liven things up, obviously, Gold and Stardust, The Usos, uh, Miz and Mizdow, there's there's some good teams in there, but a team like the Ascension, just a good cohesive, old school looking team, is gonna really inject some life into the tag team division. On the women's side of thing, uh, I you know on the women's side of things, I gotta I gotta admit I was shocked with the outcome only because I thought they were gonna put Sasha Banks over and send Charlotte up to the uh, to the WWE. But overall, the match itself was was stellar. Uh, great chemistry between both ladies. Um, Sasha Banks definitely showed that she has continued to improve her match with Charlotte. Like I said, um, really, really solid w- considering, you know, um, Charlotte is, is, you know, she's, she's inches away from, from being a complete package in the sense that her wrestling is good. Her promo work is pretty decent. And that's where I feel she needs to improve, especially considering who her dad is um, as for the way she's being booked, I like Charlotte as a heel personally, but I feel like her chemistry with Sasha Banks for this match was tremendous. Plus, Sasha Banks definitely um, made a name for herself with that performance, and I wouldn't be shocked if she's on the main roster within the year. Anyway, so I got I to gotta talk about Adrian Neville, Sami Zayn, holy shit. We talk about matches of the year. And and just moments of the year, this match lived up to the expectations set forth by every wrestling fan, both on the web and offline. It was tremendous, amazing storytelling. Both guys continued to solidify that they truly are the future of this business. And it was fantastic. Um, of course, Sami Zayn won the belt. He got a big hug from Kevin Owens, which if you've been a a viewer of Ring of Honor, you know the history between El Generico and Kevin Steen. And if you don't, YouTube is your friend. But I'll say this, the ending with them hugging and then Kevin Owens killing Sami Zayn dead with a powerbomb on the fucking apron was as academic as it could be. Do yourselves a favor. The WWE Network... Is a solid investment for nine ninety nine, but these NXT shows, man, they they really, really, really reinforce why it is such a good value. Do yourselves a favor, NXT, our evolution. You need to watch that shit because the stars of tomorrow definitely were on full display with that broadcast. All right, let's get into the other wrestling news. Um, I gotta say this, and and you know. I I said it earlier NXT probably has some of the best wrestling and some of the more engaging characters than five hours of WWE programming. And like I said, less is more and NXT does a great job with that. That's all I got to say. Now with TLC this Sunday, we're probably, we're probably curious as to how they're going to execute John Cena and Seth Rollins match. Now, you know, the, the, the stipulation is, doesn't really make any sense because uh, John Cena loses. He loses his number one contendership opportunity. What does Seth Rollins gain? Nothing, you know, because the guy's the money in the bank winner. So I was thinking about it and I said, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if Randy Orton comes back to help John Cena win and to start a feud with Seth Rollins. Well, no sooner did I think about that, that a lot of websites started to, to put that up as well. And the only reason I thought about it was because you know Randy Orton got written off TV. He was filming the movie. They said the movie was finished, and he was supposed to come back at Survivor Series, but they didn't want to. Um, they didn't want to take away from his return. Plus, have the debut of Sting. So, it's it. It was just a matter of figuring out when his return would make the most sense. And I do say that if the rumors are to be true, then his return at TLC definitely works. I also wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have, you know, felt too bad if he would have returned as an entrant in the Royal Rumble, but in any case, I think that probably his return at TLC is a given. I've been wrong before, but it's something that we can definitely keep an eye on. As for the rest of the TLC matches, just a quick recap, Cena and Rollins in the tables match, a TLC match between Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt, that's a match to keep an eye on. Um, A chairs match between Ryback and Kane. A steel stairs match between Rowan and the Big Show. Of course, this led to the change in pay-per-view name from tables, ladders, chairs, and stairs. Uh, The WWE tag team titles are on the line. Of course, Miz and Mizdow taking on the Usos. The Intercontinental title will be defended in a ladder match with Dolph Ziggler and Luke Harper. This is another match that you need to keep an eye on because it has the makings of a show stealer. Also, Jack Swagger and Rusev for the U.S. title. AJ Lee will be facing Nikki Bella for the Divas title. And, of course, your kickoff match, Gold Dust and Stardust will be squaring off against the New Day. So, uh, definitely a solid night of matches. Again, I'm sure you'll be ke- catching the pre-show at around 7.30. We will be live blogging as well. So, you can join us at RageWorks.net for that. So, TNA's debut on Destination America officially has a date. Um, They're going to go with a special live broadcast on January 7th. Uh, That's a Wednesday from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. But uh, TNA's official debut going forward will be Friday nights starting January 16th. Of course, originally people were talking about them competing against SmackDown but SmackDown is moving to Thursdays. NXT is moving to Wednesdays, which frees up the slot for TNA on Friday nights. So if you have Destination America, definitely make sure to check that out. Plus, if you are in New York City, TNA will be taping shows January 7th, 8th, and 9th here in New York. So, you know, definitely check that out if you're in New York City. I believe tickets are still on sale. So just a recap... CNA's live broadcast on January 7th, but their official debut on Destination America will be on Friday, January 16th from 9 to 11, and they will also do an encore airing from 11 to 1. So there you have it. They're also going to create a recap show called Impact Wrestling Unlocked on Saturdays, and they're going to give that from 10 a.m. to noon, and that's going to start January 17th. So Lots of cool stuff there. If you are a TNA fan, again, look for Destination America at, from your local cable provider if you're going to be checking that out going forward. All right, so with that said, pretty a pretty eventful week of wrestling and MMA. Um, again, just to recap, we got a couple of MMA cards, TLC on Sunday, and of course we got the post-pay-per-view Raw on Monday, and we will be live blogging the uh, TLC event probably beginning at 730. You can join us at Rageworks.net. Myself and the rest of the Rageworks team will be sharing our opinions on the matches and angles throughout the night. All right. Time for some gaming. We're actually uh, really, really making good time considering that we return to the old format. So let's get that ball rolling and talk some games, shall we? All right, so first up, um, if you have Xbox One, PlayStation 4, or a Windows PC, you definitely should check on the corresponding stores for each of those systems to pick up Lara Croft and the Temple of Osiris, which is available on each of those systems as of December 9th. Now, a lot of people felt that, you know, this particular game did not get the right level of advertising um, as other Tomb Raider games, but... If there's one thing I've learned when it comes to Tomb Raider is that sometimes you don't need advertising as long as the game is good. Plus, I, you know, we've talked about this before, myself and Slick, that the, adver, you know, current advertising models relating to certain games are just non-existent. But if you do have an Xbox One or a PlayStation 4 or are, of course, on Windows PC, definitely give Tomb Raider Temple of Osiris a, well, correction, Lara Croft in the Temple of Osiris a, a quick glance I'm going to try and check it out this weekend. Hopefully I can get some streaming done and you guys can check it out as well. Now, if you guys followed our Rageworks live blog or our Royal Flush Magazine live blog with Slick and Danny, you know that during the um, video game awards, there were a lot of great games showcased. Uh, one of them, which what the trailer uh, Slick told me to watch immediately was, was Godzilla, which will be having a game released on the PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4 in the summer of 2015. Now, I can appreciate a good Godzilla game as much as the next guy. Plus, I'm a huge Kaiju fan. I liked what I saw. Hopefully, the gameplay is solid because I haven't played a really good Godzilla game in quite some time. I actually dusted off a Japanese Godzilla game that I have on the Dreamcast, which um, you know I play once in a while just to feel nostalgic. In any case... If you're a Kaiju fan like I am, definitely be on the lookout for a new Godzilla game on PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4 this summer. Also, this past week, we had the um, the PlayStation Experience, which just a, a ton of great announcements. Um, of course, Street Fighter 5's exclusivity to the PlayStation 4 was a highly discussed topic amongst various gamers. And I will say this. As a longtime Street Fighter fan and owner of various versions of the game, the exclusivity does not bother me. And the reason that the exclusivity doesn't bother me is because at the end of the day, the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One, as much as people hate to say it, they are somewhat the same. You know, both offer enhanced online experiences, both have Netflix, both play Blu-rays. At the end of the day, it boils down to console exclusivity. Not only that, but just player preference from a controller standpoint. That's the other factor. But everything else, the same. Unless you want to watch, you know, Powers or you want to watch the Halo program, you know, the Halo series, or you just like one better than the other. At the end of the day, everything else is pretty much neck and neck. What matters most are the games. That's it. The minute we start talking exclusivity is the minute that we start seeing who is truly the leader of the pack and by putting street fighter on the playstation you've solidifi- you've solidified the playstation console as one of the as one, as the system for fighting game fans of course you have you know G- guilty gear xrd which is going to be released next week which again playstation 4 game and that's what i'm saying you already have a couple of decent fighting games making their way onto the playstation 4 and as an owner of a PlayStation 4 and an Xbox One, I am excited. I mean, from the Xbox One standpoint, I love Killer Instinct. I love what they've been doing. Am I a fan of the whole season thing? And eh, not really. But I do like how, how beautiful Killer Instinct looks, especially on a really good TV. And, you know, I appreciate just the trip down memory lane. Plus, if you buy the season passes, you get to play the classic versions of Killer Instinct 1 and Killer Instinct 2, which is nice as well. But exclusivity with regards to street fighter you know it's no big deal now nobody should be shocked about this because now this is like a this is probably a quad not even a quadruple dip this is the dip of dips and it involves ultra street fighter 4 now you guys know we've done super we've done street fighter 4 super street fighter 4 you know x version of street fighter 4 y version of street fighter 4 and of course ultimate street fighter 4 well Capcom's going to do one more and that's Ultra Street Fighter 4 available on the PlayStation 4. This game is going to pretty much be redone from the ground up with uh, it's going to be a PlayStation 4 exclusive with brand new enhanced visuals and all the DLC bundled in on on as well. In addition to that, you know, you, you got that you got Street Fighter 5 and like Slick said Street Fighter 5's online is going to allow PlayStation 4 players to. go up against pc gamers as well so we're going to get cross-platform play which is definitely something that you don't hear of often enough so now you're going to only not only be able to test your skill but you're going to be able to test your skill again against fellow playstation 4 owners plus pc gamers as well definitely a game changer on you know from multiple aspects now if you're curious about the 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 chronological order Of the Street Fighter series and we've talked about this before Street Fighter 3 is supposed to take place before Street Fighter 4 that's pretty much how it is now if you watch the the trailer for Street Fighter 5 you'll notice a lot of similarities between Street Fighter 5's look and Street Fighter 3 now based on that a lot of people are saying that Street Fighter 4 takes place before Street Fighter 3 and then obviously Street Fighter 3 is going to take place um, Street Fighter... Well, let me me correct myself. Street Fighter 3 is supposed to be considered the final Street Fighter game chronologically. Street Fighter 4 takes place before it. Now, there's been multiple debates that Street Fighter 5 will also take place before Street Fighter 3, so bear with me. Street Fighter 4 takes place before Street Fighter 3. Street Fighter 3 is considered the final game in the series. Now depending on who you ask if street fighter five takes place before street fighter three as confusing as that sounds that means we're going to see a lot of our fan favorites meaning alex oro uh maybe gen uh, not gen excuse me um what the hell's his name uh oro q necro you're going to see a lot of the 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 street fighter three characters with fresh coats of paint uh, you'll probably see the continued aging of Ken and Ryu, and of course the aging of Akuma. And um, like S- Slick brought something to my attention: if five takes place after three, that would mean no Vega, aka Bison. Well, as much as Slick, you're 100 percent right. This is Capcom we're talking about, so you you never know how the fuck they'd pull that off. But um, you know, you got Urian, you got Necro, you got Q, you got Oro, you got Alex, you got Sean uh makoto you got a lot of characters to work with so i mean the 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 elimination of you know characters like bison um while yes it's not something that that should be done it's something that you, it could happen now will they include those characters for the sake of you know just having them in there for people to play you never know but Slick makes a valid point when he says in the chat, the Street Fighter, st- the Street Fighter story is more convoluted than traffic on the LIE. Uh, that's a local reference. The LIE is a highway here in New York, which uh, has a notorious reputation for being incredibly packed with traffic at varying times of the day. But um, yes, the Street Fighter story, incredibly complex. Like I said, Street Fighter 2 is Street Fighter 2. Street Fighter 3 is considered the last game. Street Fighter Four, which is out now, takes place before three, even though it's called four. So uh, uh, do yourselves a favor. Wikipedia is your friend. Read it. Get the, chrono- the you know, the the chronological order of events, so you can feel up to date when Street Fighter Five drops. Anyway, Slick writes, "What would be nuts would be if in five, if five is after three, and they bring back Charlie." You know what? I wouldn't mind that, man. I like Charlie's character. I thought Charlie's character was pretty fucking dope. I really do. I always felt that, you know, his character was a character that had a really cool design from the alpha days, but um, they just, you know, they, they they kept it moving and didn't use his character anymore, which is unfortunate. I will say this, though. If we are going with five taking place before three, then that would mean that Yurian would be in charge before Gil is in charge, unless they go full, you know, they go full after three, with Gil being head of the organization, I mean, there's, like I said, a lot of ways that it can go, um, I just know that it's more Street Fighter, and as a Street Fighter fan, um, a longtime Street Fighter fan, I am pumped, that's for damn sure, anyway, also shown at the PlayStation Experience were a lot of great titles, of course, Uncharted 4, A Thief's End, which just looks amazing. The visuals were beautiful. I was hyped. I was ready to plunk down them $60 as soon as I saw that trailer. Um, Bloodborne was shown, uh, Killing Floor 2, uh, Darkest Dun- uh, The Darkest Dungeon, The Forest, Bastion, Orcs Must Die, Unchained, uh, Sky Torn, uh, Severed, Shovel Knight, the Enter the Gungan, uh, Super Time Force Ultra, Broken Age, Grim Fandango remastered, Fat Princess Adventures, Yakuza Five, um, just little bit, you know, Little Big Planet Three, uh, da- drawn to death. So many great games shown off. Um, I really, really enjoyed the PlayStation experience. It was just as a PlayStation owner, I really, really am excited for this next generation of of just gaming because there's so many beautiful visuals, so much insane gameplay. That Uncharted trailer enough was enough to to sell me on the merits of owning a PlayStation 4. The Uncharted series has some of the best storytelling, some of the most amazing visuals, and you do you do yourself a disservice if you don't play those games, because they are fantastic in every sense of the word. All right, so. Switching gears, I want to talk about Xbox One a little bit. And uh, for those of you that own Sunset Overdrive, you're going to get your first round of DLC uh, co- called the Mole Oil Rig. And it's going to be hitting Xbox Live on December 23rd. If you're interested in that, um, the game pack, of course, will be set on an oil rig near Sunset City. You're going to get new missions, new quests, challenges, weapons, traps, amps, Chaos Squad Objectives, and a ton of other stuff. Plus, you're going to get two more acrobatic moves to travel on the water around the oil rig. So um, if you're a fan of Sunset Overdrive, definitely do yourselves a favor. Be on the lookout for that on December 23rd. I just got word that Slick is calling in, and um, I'm sure that what he's going to talk about is going to definitely vibe with a lot of gamers. So let me bring him on board. Slick, what's up, buddy? What's up, man? Welcome to the party. What's going on?
1: Uh, first of all, nobody's a fan of Sunset Overdrive. That game is uh, two steps above what? <laughs> um, but I-, I was very impressed also between the trailers shown at-, at the Game Awards and the trailers that I saw when I caught up with the PlayStation experience because I had to
0: work that day. I was pissed. Dude, they weren't fucking um, around.
1: I- I'm really kind of upset with Square Enix for a couple of reasons let's hear them first of all i I really really hope that they're hardcore trolling us with because did anybody get get excited when they saw that they're gonna port the pc version of final fantasy 7 to the playstation 4
0: yes i did notice that and i will say this um before you elaborate any further for the longest time we've all clamored and begged and pleaded for Final Fantasy Seven on any console. The fact is this Yes Final
1: Fantasy fi- seven,
0: sorry,
1: I said four. Huh? I said four by mistake.
0: That's all right. But what I'm saying is you that that game is iconic in every sense of the word, but the Final Fantasy series as a whole is iconic. And, you know, if Sony were smart, they'd take a page from Nintendo's playbook and they'd start remastering all those Final Fantasy games because it's just a license to print money, you know? That's the
1: thing. They have remastered a lot of them. Right. The only ones they really need to remaster between the hardest of the hardcore fans are 6 and 7. And those are the ones they seem to not want to do. And it's like, when I was catching up to... Thank you again to World Force Magazine. Thank you to Danny. She, she um, linked me to all the trailers, so I got to see them. I was looking at, geez, he made a list, and I'm looking, and I saw Final Fantasy VII. And I was like, no, it's not possible. I'm like, they finally did a remake? I clicked on it, and I started seeing the old graphics. So I was like, I thought it was going to transition into something, and then I see the whole trailer. I'm like, what the hell? Why would anybody care that they're bringing the PC version of Final Fantasy VII to the PS4? I'm like, they already ported the game to the the PS3. Right. You can get the you can get Final Fantasy VII in on the um, on the, the PlayStation,
0: PlayStation store. store
1: for the PS3 right now. Yep. And I'm like, are there differences between the original PS1 version and the PC? Yes. Are they significant? No. Right. It's like, if, you, if you're not doing a remake, who cares? I'm like, to even play that trailer at the PlayStation Experience, I'm like, I feel like the people who were there probably felt so cheated just watching that. But it's like, I, I'm. that's why I said, I really hope that somehow Square Enix is just really trolling everybody with that one. But I, I doubt it, because... You know, we've just been asking for it forever, so why give the fans what they want? This is true. The other thing is, I'm, I'm not as mad about it this is more squaring you just shooting themselves in the foot. Okay. And that's with um, making Rise of the Tomb Raider. They, they really confirmed that it's going to be a, a Microsoft exclusive because Microsoft is publishing the shit. There you go. It's not, a, according to what they say, it's not even coming to PC, it's an Xbox. One exclusive, so I'm like that. That kind of, to me just confirmed the death of idols because I'm like, you're really gonna keep Tomb Raider away from the console that that basically burst Lara Croft
0: right? That put it on the map. No, I I I, I do you know, agree with that.
1: I mean, I get that Microsoft just you know throwing money at them like a stripper,
0: but yeah, but answer man, me.
1: That just is. Go uh, ahead.
0: Man. No, go ahead, man.
1: No, I was just saying I, I just to me that that just doesn't make
0: any sense, but hey, it is what it is. Well I'm gonna I'm gonna put it like and I said this before. When we go when we break it down, the console successes are gonna be determined not by the hardware, by the software. Right? We've talked about this. So PlayStation, yo, we got Street Fighter. Xbox is like, yeah, well, we got Lara Croft, you know, and then Playstation's like, yeah, well, we got Drake. Xbox like, well, we got Master Chief. You know what I mean? Like, it's always going to be a constant dick-measuring contest. And Nintendo's just sitting in the corner, munching on the popcorn like Michael Jackson in Thriller. You know? That's it. Nintendo's like, yeah, well, we got all the motherfuckers that none of y'all got. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> but but think about it. Nintendo is like, yo, we have an entire roster of characters, plus Sonic. You know what I mean? Like, like Nintendo, Microsoft... And, and Sony are only going to get further ahead if they create characters that are engaging, you know? Like I said, Sony has Kratos, Drake, you know what I mean? Forgettable characters like Parappa the Rapper.
1: <laughs> well, the, that was one thing. The um, At the Game Awards, the anniversary the playstation anniversary trailer for little big planet 3 that you
0: guys that was pretty cool yeah i that i got to see man i i love dude i love little big planet like if if you're watching the video you'll Mm -hmm. see probably behind me that there's a sack boy on my on my shelf because it's just an amazing game it's so innocent but it's also just a very very fun game to play and while we're on the subject of that you know and you were talking about square enix and Uh, the remakes and stuff. You know what I'd like to see? And this is a game that it has its fair share of fans, but nobody really talks about it because it just didn't live up to what people expected. I would love to see a remake of Toll Ball number one.
1: Wow. You really took it back.
0: Dude, I'd love to see that.
1: I was thinking you were going to say Parasite Eve, but that's
0: another one. Well, Parasite Eve, you know what the funny thing is? Parasite Eve in an era of resident evil, the people that aren't as well versed and as old as we are are gonna be like, yo, man, this is a Resident Evil ripoff. Parasite Eve was dynamite.
1: And that's the thing. It's like, it's, you just got to wonder why Squaring is just making certain moves that, I don't know, it, just, it seems like they're adverse in a way to making money.
0: Well, remember remember when they you had. Mean, not to cut you off. Remember when they did that that really, really. They did the bouncer to show off, like, the graphics that they could use on a console and how crazy that game was. Whatever happened to those days?
1: Exactly. I mean, you, you have the fact that supposedly Square Enix is working on something that's ex- that's possibly exclusive to the PlayStation. I don't even care if it's exclusive or not.
0: Right. doesn't matter at this it's point.
1: Just, I'm just puzzled at, you know, how you do certain things, like, you wouldn't have Tomb Raider if you didn't have the PlayStation. But right. again, yeah, I'm not going to dwell on that. It's just that, um, really, the big thing to me was the whole Final Fantasy thing. I, I'm stuck on that one. Yeah, so, well,
0: you know what it is with that that game, Final Fantasy VII. Like, and I've said this before. I all the Final Fantasy games have a place in history, and I feel that if you're going to go to the to, to such great lengths to try and dodge bringing back seven, then why don't you remaster and do a collection with all of them. You know, go the Halo route, like they did the Master Chief collection. You know, put, you know, 6, 7, and 8 in a box set. Remastered and rebuilt. Dude, it's a license to print money.
1: That's like You just remastered a second Kingdom Hearts, which really, by doing that, you, you've you given players, like, 6 games. because right. Each one has, like, even though they kind of, like different versions of the same game but it's like each one has like three games in it right and you can't remaster final fantasy 7 which granted i mean it was one of the longest final fantasies but if you really sat down and went through all the side shit and everything especially trying to get the damn golden chocobo but again that's besides the point
0: yeah i think i think when you look at it when you look at it you got to say to yourself Square Enix is is gonna is falling into the old trap that we've talked about other companies where they're going back to the well with the stuff that they know are the safe bets. Like I said, you know, do a Toe Ball Number One or or do a you know do do a game like that, do a Parasite Eve games that'll allow you to branch out, try something unique, see how it works, see if you could create a brand new not a brand new IP but just a new IP outside of the norm. Okay. You know, that would be something to see something other than Final Fantasy. Exactly. You know, you don't even want to try that either. Well, you also got you also got to see, look at it this way. And this I've said before, it's like you look at games like Uncharted that, you know, PlayStation really just said, listen, we're going to blow your minds. Here's Uncharted. We're not even considering the fact that there's probably a God of War in there somewhere, <laughs> you know,
1: and the the. This is also the possibility. I mean, think about how many new IPs were born on the PlayStation 3. Exactly. What could happen with the PlayStation 4? I mean, I hope the same thing for the Xbox One, but, I mean, out of the IPs that were born on the Xbox 360, this is just me speaking personally, how many of them are actually all that exciting. And to me, that list is a lot shorter.
0: This is true. You know what I'd like to see in it? and I think I've mentioned this before, but I'd like to see a brand new next gen version of Manhunt.
1: The problem with that is <laughs> the you
0: know, amount the way, of violence
1: the way America is today. Oh yeah.
0: It's not happening.
1: Happen.
0: Dude, that game that game truly, truly, truly showed a level of just not depravity, but just unfiltered violence. Like yo, I'm not, I'm gonna put this plastic bag over the guy's head and hit him with a baseball bat, or I'm gonna shiv this guy in the side of his neck. It was it was on a whole other level, man. It was like it was just like like twisted Metal Gear.
1: Actually, there is sort of a new man and I'm gonna say how bad this is. It's like the trailer disturbed me. Okay, think about that. I'm trying <laughs> to find the name of the game well, while I'm while I'm talking. Um. 'Cause like the the game the trailer itself, and if anybody in the chat knows the name of this game, just just chime in please. It's like the trailer the the whole thing's in black and white. I think the game's gonna be in black and white, but the graphics are like really, 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 really realistic. Okay. And it's this guy, he's he's him a monologue and he all you see is he's in his house, he's just tooling up, like Imagine, like, the Punisher on steroids. Like, that's how hard he's pulling up. Jeez. And he's ba- he's ba- saying, as he's doing this, he's like, I hate every fucking thing in the fucking world, including myself. Oh, jeez. I'm going to kill everything I possibly can until I get killed. He oh, walks geez. out of his house and literally just starts unloading on everything that moves.
0: Holy shit.
1: Like, he kicked... A black dude on the floor put a shotgun to his head, and you see his head explode.
0: Yeah, I need to find this, whatever this is. Need to find it. The
1: game, that's why I'm saying the game disturbed me. Not because of the violence, but because of how detailed it is. And I was like, when this game comes out, this would be the game that somebody actually does (laughs) mimic.
0: Yeah, dude. Manhunt. I like Manhunt. I liked Bully. Bully was a crazy game. I will say this, and. And, you know, you could probably help me uh, run this through. We were talking to you and I were talking last week about the Amiibo situation. So, of course, this week there was misinformation, not misinformation, but a lot of rumors that the less popular Amiibo figures would be discontinued. So, of course, this led to a run, a run on Amiibo figures. Dudes are on Twitter. Yo, I went here and I went there. And then, of course, once you say that, they start showing up on eBay now. The ones that quote unquote weren't very popular were Marth, the villager, and the Wii Fit trainer. And dude, you look on eBay, Surprise, man. yeah, you look on eBay and you're like, yo, what the fuck is going on? So I was laughing because you know you were joking about you know dudes gaming the system and you know trying to find the the ones that were you know uh, you know mismatched or problems. And it's just like the fact that somebody said, yo, these might not these might not be re released. Dude, everybody going crazy. And I said to myself, this is a rumor, and I almost feel like it was purposely done so that they could move those figures. You never know. Because think about it. you
1: always say, bad press is press.
0: Yep. Because it's like, you know, um, what happened was uh, Canadian retailer Video Games Plus had tweeted that Nintendo had officially discontinued three out of the 12, Marth the Villager and the Wii Fit Trainer. So of course a few ma- a few days later Nintendo was like, "Yo, you know, shelf space constraints could prevent fit other figurines from returning to market." They didn't say they were canceling them. They were just like, eh, you know, it's going to be a little a little slow." But of course, you know, you got another wave of, of of Amiibo figures hitting the shelves next week, plus another set of figures that should be arriving by February. So of course, it's like, "Yeah, of course we're going to say that the that the quote-unquote shittiest ones are being discontinued because we want you to buy them. <laughs> you know, like, everybody's like, oh, my God, I got to buy Wii Fit Trainer. <laughs> it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't. It's
1: like, yeah, you're going to get the Wii Fit Trainer, but are you actually going to pull out your Smash Brothers and use the Wii Fit Trainer?
0: Absolutely not, dude. You know what they're doing. It's like, oh, my God, I got to get it. You know, I got to sell it. I got to sell it. <laughs> insane but i had to share that with you because we joked about it last week just just again in passing because of the whole samus thing and dude it's like people are going crazy crazy dudes on instagram yo kid i got three we fit trainers at walmart and i said and nintendo is laughing at you (laughs) nintendo's laughing nintendo's laughing at you that's it exactly nintendo's laughing at you This one guy i saw on twitter he he bought a Marth, two villagers, and three We Fit trainers, and I said, "Congratulations, <laughs> you, are you are a tool." The owner of crap. <laughs> exactly, I'm like, "Yo, get out of here!" But I think I figure you get a kick out of that. I also wanted to tell you because you you and Danny did such a great job with it. The game awards were watched by two million live stream viewers. Two million.
1: Well, I have to say, I was very impressed with the game awards. Considering previous video game award shows, <laughs> which we will not speak of any any longer.
0: Fuck that! The
1: Spike they Awards. Like the... They put the effort into it, and even though Nintendo obviously bought their way into the, it, it wasn't buying their way into awards. They just wanted to have presence at the show.
0: Yeah, well, well, you know, you were saying about not naming them, dude. The Spike Awards were just the self masturbation of the gaming community it's no different than the man than the man you know the man's choice award or the guy's choice awards on spike tv it's the same shit we're going to showcase the trailers we want we're going to toss some awards to some motherfuckers that you know are kind of popular at the moment and that's it that's what they were and and the soon and the more people started to see that the more and the less inclined they were to participate and watch them I mean, it's happened with the MTV Movie Awards where you end up watching those awards because there's going to be one or two trailers that are going to get shown exclusively on the Stupid Awards show, and that's it, you know? In watching the, the Game Awards, it was nice, you know? Like, Nintendo's like, yo, check out this brand new fucking Zelda. And people were genuinely hyped, you know? Like, it was refreshing.
1: I was just to see more of the Zelda world, but I was like... You know, you've been working on this game for a while. You showed us that, that trailer at E3 is like, we just get the horse. We get it we get it on. It's like, really? That's all you're going to show us?
0: Of course they are.
1: I mean, there, there was a tech demo for for the new Zelda showing um, Link walking into a, a castle and fighting a gigantic scope. I can't even say it right. The, the, you know, the, the spider. Right. And I'm like, that was amazing. It's like, you couldn't show us at least some kind of, like, hardcore combat?
0: No, because if, what...
1: If you, if you have that tech demo, you've got some stuff going on. It's like, you just you just want us drooling and chomping at the bit. Right. You're like, fuck you, Nintendo. I love you, Nintendo, but fuck you, Nintendo.
0: But you know what it and was? I, I
1: found that game. That game is called Hatred. Oh, okay. And, you know, too bad we don't have video, but... It, you can check that out anybody in the chat if you haven't seen this game i warn you like i said it disturbed me yeah you i need guys to put hear that me rant, and that shit disturbed me watching it
0: yeah i need to put that trailer up yeah man like i was watching i watched the game awards and i was like man like like i said it's like i was i was excited for just gaming you know what i mean like it wasn't about mountain dew and Doritos and x girl a you know ex- gamer girl Chick associated with gaming in some capacity being being just forced to deliver shitty monologues and terrible lines. It was like yo, passionate people sharing you know really good games and acknowledging them the way that they should be acknowledged as an art form.
1: The awards still need some work, but they did a very good job. And when they brought out the um, the husband and wife, I forget their names at the moment that created King's Quest. And told their story of how they went from, you know, just wanting to make enough money to buy a house together to, you know, creating not just a franchise, but creating Sierra games and how, like, in a way, they they kind of pioneered home gaming and everything. That story was just like, I mean, Danny and I will tell you, like, we were choked up right there. That was fantastic.
0: Yeah, I was reading
1: it. Like that in every award show, like, that one moment, to me, that was bigger than the Zelda reveal. Right. That was just nuts how they did that.
0: Well, you got The new King Quest looks amazing. Well, you know, taking that into consideration, like I said, you know, 2 million people tuned in. There was an average of 28 minutes of viewership on a three-hour show, according to YouTube's numbers. Not to mention the fact that those 2 million viewers eclipsed the final Spike TV Video Game Awards, which had a viewership of 1 million viewers. Think about that. With regards to social media, like,
1: all people were tired of that joke, huh? People were tired of that show because huh? it's like every year is like Game of the Year, either Madden or Call of Duty. I was like, really?
0: Right. Well, like I said, and then you know, from a social media standpoint, which is always a good a good barometer, um, the awards show had a ninety six percent favorable rating. Uh, the Game Awards Twitter hashtag trended number one worldwide throughout the entire events broadcast. And it had three hundred and forty-one million impressions during the show. It's like people care about the shit when it's done right, you know.
1: And it's like, um, it's like Trey Parker said when he won for like best voice work. He said, "This proves that that um, gaming is the like the the biggest form of media in the world because it's only in gaming where I can beat Kevin Stacy out for an award."
0: There you go. And just like I said, as a gamer, there's so many just amazing titles coming up, you know? Like, I was reading about somebody kind of released, like, a like an interesting plot point for, for the Arkham Knight, for, you know, the the next Batman game, and when I read it, I was like, man, if that's what it is, it's gonna be fucking crazy.
1: Well, there's a, there's a lot of things that if you've played the last two Arkham games, and I, I mean the, the main titles, not Origins, that you know, would give you hints as to who's behind the Mad Mask and the Arkham Knight armor. Right. But um the way they they twist plots around in in um the Arkham series, especially if you play to the end of Arkham City. Right. Don't don't think for a second that you have the answers.
0: Nope. But that's what I mean. But that level of just intricate storytelling from like I said, games like that, games like Drake you know games like and and you know we we talk about it and part partly because we're f- we're fans of it. But dude, the Dark series, that ending for that first game, dude, still.
1: Yeah, and uh, well, let's hope that that one comes back again. Now that the IP was picked up and let's hope it's done right. There you go. Yeah, but I
0: I just you know I There's mean been a
1: lot of things that that should really come back strong this this console generation. Like, Absolutely. I'm still hoping beyond hope for another prototype game. Then there's the, the confirmation by Microsoft that there will be another crackdown, and I'm still up there about that one because two was not as good as one, but it was still fun. Yep. And this one's going to be made by the people that made the first one, so fingers crossed there. I might actually be finally getting an uh, Xbox One.
0: I'd like to see another Burnout.
1: Supposedly, it's, it's, it's coming, but they're still working on trying to make another Need for Speed, which, after the last one, can I, can I really get another Burnout? <laughs> it's like, I'm getting... I, I have always said you know how much I love driving games, and this year has been really disappointing me for, for driving games, because, for one thing, I don't have an Xbox One. So the one driving game that I think I would have enjoyed, I can't play, which is Forza Horizon. Right. Because Drive Club didn't do so well. Nope. The crew is not doing so well. Nope. There's no Gran Turismo even on the horizon right now, so I got nothing much to look forward to <laughs> in that genre.
0: You know what I wouldn't I mind seeing? I can
1: turn on my Grand Theft Auto and run around town, but that's about it.
0: I'd like to see, Ro- I'd like to see EA bring back Road Rash.
1: Yeah, but it's it's like from the last incarnation of it, it, they they have a long way to go. Like, remember when they brought back Twisted Metal? Yeah, it it, it got its its love, but it, it, you know, it didn't do so well.
0: Well, there's a rumor that Sweet Tooth is going to be in Mortal Kombat X as a character. He's going to be the, the 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 you know the next character.
1: all I care about that is I want to break faces.
0: No, I know, dude, but I wouldn't, that's gonna, that'd be, that's gonna be pretty fun. Like, they got a character that actually would fit in that universe, you know? Oh, absolutely. With Sweet Tooth, dude, that's, if that's true, I am hype. And like I said, after seeing Freddy Krueger in the other one, they really should try and do a, um, a fighting game like that with, like, Freddy Krueger, Ash, Michael Myers, Jason. Dude, people would play that shit. You know
1: who they need to bring, you know, who they need to bring to Mortal Kombat as far as, like. Popular characters and whether they do the whole crew or just the one guy, shoot, Pinhead.
0: Oh, Pinhead would be awesome, man! With the hooks flying out as Pinhead is perfect. That'd be great. Just um, his fatality—he'll make you solve the puzzle box, and then all the hooks come out and rip you apart, like in the second movie. Oh, it'd be sick, dude! But that's what I mean. Perfectly in that universe. But that's what I mean. But even even a game with those characters would be dynamite. You know the same way they did Injustice, and they do all that stuff with DC, dude. Leatherface, like you have a pretty good roster: Leatherface, Jason, uh, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, Pinhead, maybe some of the critters. You know that you could use together. You know, like there's a couple decent characters you could you could rock with: Norman Bates, if you wanted to get really weird, dude. I'd I would play that. The, the Predator in one. Oh yeah, drop the Predator in there. Like the Predator versus Cyrex. That the Predator of Mortal Kombat would be bananas, dude. Obviously, Fatality would be the spine rip, like in like in Predator Two, skinning people. Yep, dude, I I could live with that. If if you do that, then you got to make the other character Dutch. You got to make the other character Schwarzenegger.
1: Yeah, I guess you know would be like the 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 the, the um, popular version of like Striker. Exactly,
0: dude. That'd be awesome. Just you know, he comes out, he lights his cigar. You son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, but we go- like
1: the, the weird characters more from Mortal Kombat versus like the, the the quote unquote
0: normals. Yep. The quote unquote normals is right. But um yeah man, I I think I think we got a we got a lot of shit to look forward to. We got um two more shows to close out twenty fourteen. Um if if you were if you were to give one one recommendation that somebody should bag for themselves or for someone for the holidays, what would you tell them as a gamer?
1: One game.
0: One game. You only got one. I mean, it
1: really depends on what you're into. Like, like if you wanted a fighter, I mean, I would say go for Guilty Gear. If you wanted just, like, an all-around game that they could kick around, I yep. would say probably Grand Theft Auto. Okay. If you want, like, a, okay. a game that's fun for anyone... I would say go with like um, Captain Toad, and I'm just thinking of like newer games. Right, you're
0: going so genre.
1: Came out or that are coming out. All right. Or um, like if you just want like the what would be the overall best value right now for your your bang for your buck, I would say you know you'd have to have a Wii U because the best bang for your buck would be Bayonetta two, since you get two games for one.
0: Okay. All right. Me me I would have to say. Uh, console, console wise, uh, same thing. I'd probably say a Wii U, and I'd probably say Smash Brothers or Mario Kart because it's the holidays. You got people over at the house. You know, it's it, you, you know, it's it's a game that anybody could pick up and play. So definitely, those are my recommend. You know, that's my recommendation. Probably just uh, I would probably go with with um Smash Brothers just because a good way to get some stress out. You know, your family's over for the holidays. Driving you fucking nuts. Good way to do it in a, in a fun environment. So I, figured, uh, Absolutely. I figured that'd I be a good way to close out the segment. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I'm good, man. All right, brother. As always, I appreciate the assist. See you later, bro. All right, man. See ya. Check out the hatred trailer. Oh, I'm going to watch that as soon as we're done. <laughs> All right, man. Peace. All right, that was our very own Slick. You can follow Slick on Twitter at MTRSlick. And you can interact with him on our Facebook fan page. That was a great way to close out this week's gaming segment. Like I said, we got two more shows for 2014, uh, December 17th and December 18th. Anyway, we are in the home stretch. Let's jump into the week's entertainment news. Uh, some crazy stuff going on. Uh, finales for midseason finales for The Flash, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Arrow, lots of crazy stuff on deck. Let's get that ball rolling. All right, so let's get the ball rolling on the entertainment side of things with an update on the big screen version of Stephen King's It, which, of course, many of you may remember from the TV miniseries. Uh, The film is moving along as scheduled with a scheduled uh, release date uh, later in 2016. I've heard that they are going to start prepping um, in summer 2015 for the shoot with a release in 2016. I'm very interested to see how well they can do, how, how effectively they can take a character as iconic as Pennywise the Clown and convert him into something more for the big screen. I do feel that Stephen King's novel was fantastic and the TV miniseries from 1990 was tremendous. I mean, Tim Curry was in a class by himself as Pennywise. I don't know how well they can recapture that magic for the big screen, but it's a deve- a story that's developing and I will continue to watch it very very closely. Of course, it wouldn't be an entertainment segment without some Marvel news. Um as I mentioned and I briefly mentioned it last week, Kristen Ritter is officially going to be playing Jessica Jones in the upcoming Marvel series on Netflix called A Marvel's AKA Jessica Jones, which of course is going to follow the Daredevil series which will be debuting in 2015 as well. Um like I said, Kristen Ritter will be playing Jessica Jones. We're also going to be seeing Luke Cage and Iron Fist get their respective Netflix series. Of course, this is all going to lead to the Defenders miniseries to close things out. I think it's a great way to branch off into the more obscure characters in the Marvel Universe, and with the direct distribution of Netflix, I think that they're going to fare quite well. We're going to keep watching this, and of course, once the episodes start to debut, we will definitely be sharing our thoughts in the coming months. Um, I will say this on the subject of superhero shows. uh, We're getting a lot of different shows, a lot of good, a lot of bad, and a lot of interesting all at the same time. Definitely give them a fair shake. You're never going to get the full gist of it in the first or second episode. I can say this, um, you know, I can attest to this with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. When I watched it initially, I was just frustrated at the pacing and the storytelling, and it's really started to come into its own and improved quite a bit um i do feel that arrow and the flash continue to impress week in and week out just a lot of fan service and just a lot of great storytelling from all th- you know from both companies from marvel and dc with their small screen products uh constantine also is a badass show um very unfortunate what's been going on with the ratings with that show but hopefully another network picks it up maybe netflix or Maybe another network, another channel like a cable channel, because I do feel that the overall presentation of Constantine is solid. If you haven't checked it out, uh, definitely look on NBC On Demand and give it a shot because it is it is a very, very solid and well and well put together show. That's for damn sure. All right. Box office, of course, not a shocker. The box office continues to belong to Katniss Everdeen. Um that stranglehold that she currently has on the box office will probably be gone sooner rather than later. Obviously, Lord of the Rings, Battle of the Five Armies, The Hobbit uh, hits screens next week. In addition to that, of course, you have Annie for the family film category, which, of course, for Christmas is going to probably make a sizable amount of money. But for now, Katniss Everdeen owns the box office, taking the number one slot, Hunger Games, Mockingjay, $21.6 million. $21.6 million. 257.7 overall the penguins of madagascar took number two horrible bosses two came in at number three big hero six was number four if you guys are gonna check out the video feed you'll see that i got a new uh, funko which is the very big uh baymax funko uh definitely i really enjoyed big hero six and i had to buy that uh interstellar was number five dumb and dumber was number six the Theory of Everything was number 7, Gone Girl was number 8, The Pyramid was number 9 and Birdman was number 10. In some sequel news it looks like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 is a go and all signs are pointing to us seeing Rocksteady and Bebop finally on the main screen. Now if you've on, on the big screen, excuse me. If you've been following the development of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you've probably seen uh, some some concept art that was rec- that was uh, leaked out that showed Krang, but also showed the iconic designs of Rocksteady and Bebop, which actually look pretty badass. So it looks like we will be seeing them in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, and we will also be seeing Casey Jones as well. So definitely uh, very, very interesting times with this brand new cinematic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle universe. Uh, The first film was not terrible. I really thought I was going to hate it, but I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 is scheduled to hit theaters June 3rd, 2016. All right, so we talked some Marvel news. We got to talk a little bit about DC as well. Jason Momoa confirmed, obviously, that he is playing Aquaman, but he did say in an interview at the Comic-Con Experience in Sao Paulo, Brazil that he is signed on to play Aquaman for four films and that he would like uh, Zack Snyder to direct a solo Aquaman movie. So with that said, we now know that Kyle Drogo, AKA Roman Reigns, AKA Aquaman is going to have four movies to talk to fish and try and make us think that he does not suck. Uh, with that said, I will be watching very closely because the latest run of Aquaman from DC has not been terrible. So I, um, I'm i going to approach it with extreme caution for the time being. If you're a fan of, of the kaiju universe and you're a fan of Godzilla, of course, you probably went to the theater and saw the American Godzilla film, which had Godzilla in it all of 15 minutes. But either way, Godzilla wasn't a terrible movie, just a movie that tried to use a lot more of the human narrative to tell the story, which whatever, it didn't it didn't make it a terrible film, but it definitely... Uh, took away from it a bit. But in any case, Toho, who many of you know has been responsible for a litany, a plethora, a huge number of Godzilla films, is going to be bringing Godzilla back to the big screen. Toho's last Godzilla film was Godzilla's Final Wars from 2004, which is a guilty pleasure that I never get tired of watching. Now, Legendary Pictures version of Godzilla, the American version by Gareth Edwards made $500 million worldwide when it debuted in Japan at number one. So, with that said, Toho, realizing that Godzilla has once again become incredibly popular, is going to try and and test a brand new Godzilla film, which is expected to hit screens in 2016, well before the sequel to Gareth Edwards' Godzilla film, which won't be out till 2018. So definitely very very interesting. In some DC small screen news, of course, we've talked about Constantine, Arrow, The Flash, uh but they're not the only characters that are getting TV series. It looks like we're going to get a series based on Krypton. Of course, we have Gotham which explores the origins of Detective James Gordon well before he became the commissioner and of course young Bruce Wayne before he became Batman. Well, it looks like sci-fi is jumping into the comic show pool with a Krypton TV series, following the stories of Superman's grandfather on the on on the Krypton planet, and of course, um, it's going to expand on the origins on the House of L and their contributions to Krypton, and as well, I'm sure, as what's going to lead to Krypton being destroyed and some of the things that had a hand in creating. The iconic Man of Steel and the House of L uh, very interesting just because it's going to be on sci-fi and sci-fi has a um, a pretty storied history when it comes to unique science fiction programming so we'll see what happens um, David Goyer and Ian Goldberg are involved with the series so I'm going to be interested in seeing how many what kind of an, uh, what kind of an effects budget it's going to have and how and how much it will tie into the existing DC universe. Meanwhile, on the flip side, sci-fi is going towards Krypton. TNT is going towards the Teen Titans. Uh, The Teen Titans will be airing on TNT and will follow the adventures of Dick Grayson and his team. Uh, Right now, all signs point to it being Dick Grayson, Starfire, Raven, and probably Beast Boy as well, and maybe Cyborg. It remains to be seen if that's going to be the official cast, but one thing that is confirmed is that we will be seeing Dick Grayson on screen in a solo capacity. Uh, definitely very interesting to see how that ties into the cinematic universe as well, considering that, obviously, Flash and Arrow tie together. Uh, there's a rumor that the Supergirl TV series on NBC may tie into those shows as well. So DC is definitely cultivating a small screen universe, which is great. But as I've said before, we can they better hope that the small screen universe doesn't eclipse the cinematic universe that they are trying to establish definitely uh, stories that we're going to be following very closely here at my take radio and rage works and of course once we get new details we will keep you guys up to up to snuff but be on the lookout like i said for krypton debuting on sci-fi and the teen titans debuting on tnt of course the teen titans turned 50 years old so uh you know 50 year anniversary so a tv series focusing on them is really not a shocker in the least. Now, some of the big news floating around in the entertainment world has been the Sony hack. Now, the Sony hack has been very, very crazy for a multitude of reasons. Um, Company emails, social security numbers, celebrity aliases, numerous amounts of correspondence have been released. And um, the crazy thing is that some of the stories that have come out have been really bad and then there's other stories that have been very, very interesting. One story in particular is that Sony was approached uh, with, about including Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. With Spider-Man appearing in Captain America's, uh, 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 excuse me, in Civil War, in the Civil War film. Um, which, of course, given the nature of his relationship with Tony Stark and the Civil War story in the books... It's it's very cool to see that they were willing to reach out to Sony and try and get an opportunity to utilize Spider-Man in the um in the established Marvel universe. According to the October 30th email, Sony Pictures President Doug Belgrad uh, told Sony Pictures Head Amy Pascal about a potential scenario that could see Marvel produce a new trilogy of Spider-Man movies while Sony retains creative control, marketing and distribution so once again spider-man being the uh, the driving force in a unique not a unique battle but just a unique experiment because i really think the andrew garfield spider-man universe that has been established thus far has not been terrible but with spider-man home with marvel i have a feeling that marvel would definitely make the most out of everyone's favorite web slinger from his relationships with the Avengers to appearing in other series to appearing in other films it really is a no-brainer and while everybody says that the talks eventually did break down there's a lot of rumor floating there's a lot of rumors floating around that the idea and the concept is not dead but i will say this if if and when it happens it's going to be something that is going to be under wraps and it's going to have an incredible amount of secrecy. Even right now, I think, hey, this could be misinformation, and the deal could still be in place, and Spider-Man still may show up in Civil War. But it's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on, but it's definitely an awesome concept as a comic fan. So, of course, once we get further clarification, we will definitely share it with you guys. Now, the other bit of news that came out of the leak... Can definitely be considered what the fuck movie news and that is the rumor that they want that sony wants to do a crossover between 21 jump street and men in black so jonah hill and channing tatum would in, in jump into the men in black universe with will smith and either tommy lee jones or maybe new men in black or if you wanted to take it a step further maybe uh, Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum's characters from 21 Jump Street would be recruited into Men in Black. But either way, this crossover film is something that doesn't sound believable, but it has quite a bit of weight behind it, and it looks like it may actually happen. Uh, Sony Pictures is was, um, according to the emails that were leaked out, looking to release this crossover film in 2016 or 2017 with the hopes that, That the crossover would reinvigorate the Men in Black franchise. Uh, Men in Black 3 uh, was released in 2012 and it grossed $624 million worldwide. But the studio lost a lot of money due to its exorbitant costs and super high budget. But there you have it. Just craziness coming out of these Sony leaks. Like I said, uh, 21 Jump Street, Men in Black, the craziest thing I've read. But you know what? In a twisted sort of way, it may actually work. As long as it continues to not take itself seriously and just have a good time, I'd, I'd give it a shot. Would I pay, you know, $12, 13 $14 to see it in the theater? Maybe not. But I definitely would give it a watch if it were on cable, that's for sure. But again, take this with rumor, take these rumors with a grain of salt considering their sources and the stuff that's coming out of this leak is, is something that's going to continue uh, to shine a light on a lot of different things for the foreseeable future. Uh, the Marvel, the Spider-Man and, and Sony news, uh, definitely something that we are super, super focused on because like I said, Spider-Man is just a main, a main part of the Marvel universe. He's, you know, the, one of the driving forces and to not have him involved in things like civil war, the Avengers, uh, stories of that nature is just a, a disservice to the character. And, you know, like Hugh Jackman and countless other celebrities have said, they want to work together, they want to bring these characters to the fans in the right, you know, in the right stories and in the right ways, and it's something that, you know, hopefully we get to see before, you know, before some of these franchises either stop being popular or before the rights just, you know, just disappear. I mean, in Spider-Man's case, you know, Marvel and Disney are dying to get those rights back because I think that they feel they can do a better job bringing that character to to the big screen and integrating him into the cinematic universe. But again, for the time being, it belongs to Sony. But given the amount of negative press they've been getting, you never know, they may sell sell the rights back to Marvel and Disney. That remains to be seen, but it's something worth exploring. Anyway, with that said, that's actually going to wrap up the entertainment news for this week. Kind of a, of a light, not a light week, but definitely most of the bigger stories were tackled. But in any case, um, My Take Radio will be back live uh, December 17th at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific for its MMA and wrestling edition. Of course, we will be talking about the fallout from TLC. We're also going to be talking about Monday Night Raw. Plus, all the UFC cards from this coming weekend will be discussed on our episode on the 17th and of course gaming and entertainment news are on deck on the 18th last but not least those will be our final shows of 2014 my take radio will be back on air january 7th wednesday and january 8th at 11 p.m eastern 8 p.m pacific with that we're gonna wrap up as always you can find my take radio on twitter at my take radio you can become a fan on facebook add us to your circles on google plus and since you were not able to see the video feed for this show you can watch it on youtube.com forward slash my take radio tv or youtube.com forward slash official RageWorks. if you haven't subscribed to either of our youtube channels please make it a point to do so we're going to try and include more product reviews more unboxings and a ton of other great video content for you guys as well um that's it thank you guys for tuning in on behalf of myself rich and uh, excuse me (laughs) on behalf of myself slick quark blade andrea josh the rightist ben and the rest of the mtr and rageworks crew i will see you guys next week as always thank you for your continued support i'm out of here peace